Hi, I'm James Taylor. And I'm Marco Sparks. And welcome to Bros Watch PL2. We're back for a season one wrap-up podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about next session, next season. Uh, we've got lots of questions that people sent in that we can answer. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to have a little fun. Your voice is really low right now, Marco. I feel amazing. That's why. That's, that's some Sam Elliott high, Marco Sparks. <laughs> Yes, I aspire to be Sam Elliott in Roadhouse yeah. of all don't, times. Don't we all? <laughs> you see Sam Elliott's pubes in that movie. You see his bush. What a film. Uh, I wish I could remember. I wish I wasn't. I hadn't just accidentally taken NyQuil. I wish I could tell you lines from the movie that he says. <laughs> what is it like? There's no way a doctor like that should have an ass that fine. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that on the next headcanon. Oh, we have had a request for the next headcanon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would love to do Roadhouse. That'll be a four-hour episode. Yeah, so just to give you an idea of the structure of this podcast, um, we're going to do our kind of bullshit pitch for Season 2 of The Perfectionist to start off with. Then we'll do questions we have about The Perfectionist. Then at the end of the pod, we're going to do some trouble questions, and we'll try to save the spoilery trouble questions all the way for the end of the pod so you can listen up all the way to that point if you have not read the book. Don't want to be spoiled. I just want to say I appreciate not just every single weirdo who went and got a copy of that book in whatever form in their hot little hands, but you strange people who have actually have already read it. That is awesome. Like, because you know, a lot of times I'll buy a book and it's like, great, I own this. I will read this sometime in the next eight years. Mm-hmm. But like, it's really cool that a lot of you have read it and can ask very interesting questions about it. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's gone out and purchased it, either physical or ebook copy. Um, it seems to be getting a really good response. No, yeah. no kind of negative bad reviews yet. Everyone seems to really like it, and it's a lot of fun for them. So uh, yeah. maybe if you haven't read it, you'll be interested in checking it out. Um, but yeah, before the end of the pod, we'll, we'll give a clear spoiler warning when we're going to discuss any spoilers from the book. So mm-hmm. you can bail out there. All right, well... Let's go ahead and get started. Season two, The Perfectionist. So uh, one thing is we talked about this will be our season one wrap up. And that's one thing I don't think we have a lot of room here for. So I'll just say while coming up with this pitch, which we came up with basically over Froyo Uh one night in L.A., um, I was like, you know what? I really like this. So maybe just maybe there's something (laughs) salvageable at the core of, of the show. But I think we... We like left an engagement. We were talking about like what the fuck works and what kind of questions need to be answered from season one because there's a ton. So this pitch will be kind of all over the place, but let's talk about like what the fuck is going on at BHU, like because there's the question of perfectionism. So essentially, what well, we came up with, real quick before yeah. you dive into it, just I always want to give this caveat, like when when we do our, our pitches and whatnot. Like the reason I kind of was fascinated by PLL to begin with is because it was a show that like swerved in all sorts of directions i never would have guessed so ideally like they should never do anything i would suggest i i would want them to just follow their own muse and like i hope that season two has like perhaps a little more focus maybe a little more time to kind of nail down the story they're trying to tell um there's no issues with casting or network or studio notes or you know anything like that that would prevent them from telling the story they want i mean that would be my hope for season two you know we're we're gonna dive into our little pitch here but um yeah i just i always like it when the show goes in a way that i didn't expect and am delighted by it you know mason not so delightful 
and let's just say this is just our pitch. We're just yeah. two fucking jackasses who do a podcast. But the people they've got running season two are going to be great, and they're going to hire great people. And I hope the network goes with whatever they pick. But that said, mm-hmm. if you want to give us a job, we're available. But so we started to think about BHU in our discussions as this kind of Manchurian university. Uh, and essentially the whole idea is that you're creating students. The reason it's so perfect or you're striving for perfection, so stringent is that you want these people to leave this campus, go into whatever industry, very, you know, high tech industries or what have you and rise to the top and essentially then be activated as controllable objects. Like sleepers. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to take over kind of the, the elite of the country by programming all the students that go to the school. Yeah, exactly. But through like, you know, a mixture of brainwashing and, and techno babble and all these kind of something in the food. Yeah. As opposed to the way we do it now, which is just through money. (laughs) (laughs) So the professor protocol is essentially an AI creation uh, overseeing the programming of a bunch of these Manchurian students who will go out and be the best of the best in respective fields, et cetera. The list that we saw brewing is the people who, for some reason, made it into the school but are immune to the programming. So the professor's now experiment is how to break them or figure out why they are immune and maybe bring them back in. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of showing, we want to show like more of like, this is just some normal, boring college campus, which a lot of those outdoor scenes show, getting to more of the kind of homogenous body snatchers as student body, the school, making, making our main characters truly feel and not just talk about in a finale, like the pressure they're under or what the pressure starts to do to people or, or how they don't fit in. Um, so yeah, more paranoia. Yeah. So in little, little things, because like I said, we're going to be all over the place with this pitch, but we find out that some of the professor program is not only like originally based around parts of Taylor's personality. So like not just her personality, but like 14 year old Taylor, like furious about her father's death and creating this insane program. Um, but it's a, it eventually you find out it's a contingent of beacon guard turned sentient, uh, you're much as, you know, uh, oh fuck. What is it from Terminator? I'm, I'm not well, which part of Terminator, the Skynet, sorry. Skynet, it's like Skynet. Yeah. You know? Um, but so also, you know, of course, do you have your Easter eggs at some At 5.54 AM beacon God becomes sentient. Sorry. I kind of like that deleted scene where he plays like Sergeant Candy. With oh, I hate that scene. <laughs> it's There's just funny. Bad Texan accent. Yeah. But at some point, you know, the Easter eggs in the past, someone from Hotchus Industries, while doing patches and updating and adding to their thing, they acquired several journals of one Charlotte Drake where they brought up, you know, when they when they bought up parts of the Karasimi group and they were quite enlightening about, you know, running this kind of psychological warfare games. So, like, at some point when Mona stayed behind, I think, in PLL 610, she doesn't realize it, but that would potentially be her first glimpse at what would later become Beacon Guard or part of it. So then the idea is that there is this committee featuring, like, Professor Fielder, who's running the professors a program before they realize that, that the professor's outgrown them doing its own thing and just basically keeping that under wraps from these people. So then we kind of broke down an idea for an episode one, uh, which jokingly would be titled, Hey, teacher, leave those kids alone. (laughs) So we figured it's been maybe a week since the last episode. 
the perfs, of course, are still in the, the grip of the professor still. You know, we have a scene where Ramona reminds us all of what's at stake. She reviews that camera footage of them at the dock. You know, Jeremy's being shot. Them all working together, they're covered up. Um, this is the first thing the professor's going to hold over their heads. Also, Taylor's still not back from her, quote-unquote, rest at Riverwell. So we get like happy scenes of Ava and Zach. He's like painting for his big exhibit over the summer. Ava's proud of him. That exhibit, mind you, is still like eight months away. Uh, elsewhere, Allison like runs into Tango Professor. She thinks this is going to be weird. It ends up being like a nice encounter. Like he's not, he's probably like flirty because that's his language, but like he's not necessarily like overtly trying to like bed her. So they sit and talk at a coffee shop or something. She's still in her reflective, you know, I'm too broken to be fixed mood. Tell she's still, you know, processing this thing she said. Um, something happens to the main cast. We start to get into the juice of it. They defy the professor, and as punishment, he tells them to pick one amongst themselves to have his wrath taken out upon. So momentarily, big drama of whether or not they'll turn on each other. They'll continue, to, but you know, defy him and announce that no, they will not pick one of themselves. We punish something, something, something. Friends who become family. Um, you know, and they're, they're like, there's no game if we refuse to play. So as payback, he tells them, well, then you have made your choice. Um, so elsewhere we find out Mason's been killed. Is he the accident. first one to die? Well, whatever. Well, it's just, it's, it's, we don't need to go beat by beat through the episode, but the idea would well, be that. But we have an, ep- we have one episode broken out. So I'll just, yeah. I'll just finish this one episode. Elsewhere, Zach is killed in an accident. Um, hospital room still recovering. Jeremy dies from seemingly natural complication for having been shot like a blood caught. It kind of all happens like sporadically. Some or most of it off screen. You don't need to bring in actors for this. They realize that, oh shit, this has to be the work of the professor. Uh, and it's somebody who's like in each of their lives. So like Dylan kind of, I don't think he figures it out first, but he freaks out, runs back to the dorm apartment, worried that Andrew is going to, you know, be the next stop on the chopping block. Gets there, finds out Andrew's been basically Stepfordized. Um, I don't know how, but somehow Andrew is able to then Stepfordize Dylan, even though Dylan was, you know, unprogrammable before. No, no, Uh, Dylan agrees to. That that was the thing, is that all these other people are dying, and so Dylan's like, I don't want Andrew to die. I'll, you know, join you or whatever. Yeah, through some kind of means, probably. He just talks to the camera and says, you win, you know. Yeah. Um, so the professor lets him know this, like, this is their decision that they've made, you know, by not agreeing to any of his demands or what have you. Oh, and the, the professor, the Tango professor dies too. I think that was the other guy. So, so someone like said, professor, professor's died. dead. Tango professor, Mason's dead. Zach is dead. And, uh, Jeremy's dead. So yeah. someone from each of their lives. Yeah. So you can always say the clean up the cast, the dead weight. Yeah. Yeah. So later, Allison and Mona review that footage from the dock again. Only this time, the footage is different. Dylan's not there. He's been removed from it, and therefore he's cleared. Uh, so episode two, they're trying to also, you know, process their grief from these various things, their anger. Um, Ava surprises herself because she's not going to like pull out the red solo cup. She's going to like focus her her rage like she should. Maybe coached by Allison. Um, Caitlin and the others are like trying to break Dylan's programming or get him back. Uh, also her, her mother's had the, the picture of her mother and the affair have been released, you know, so the mother's furious of her, the mother's staying in DC, going to fight her way through the scandal. Caitlin's really cut off. She can't go home. So Caitlin's going to move into a new dorm with Ava. They're going to share a room in a new dorm building. Um, I think this is where we, also we have Mona and Allison move in together. 
like Mona, you know, during that day that she was fired, like she canceled the lease on her place. <laughs> they rented out her place to someone else. Yeah. <laughs> so she moves into that weird upstairs thing that we kept getting ominous shots of in, in old Taylor's house there. Um, you know, Ava has a scene where like she maybe trashes Zach's paintings in grief or what have you. Um, there's something with Dylan where he's like somehow like through his music, maybe by playing that stupid song for Andrew, he's like the programming or whatever he's involved in is like starting to break. Long story short, uh, eventually Dylan decides he can't handle this. He's going to make a run for it. I think he's taking Andrew well, he, with. He's able to snap out of like their brainwashing or whatever. Yeah. yeah. He's going to take Andrew with him, even though it's very likely that Andrew is, you know, got a head full of programming or what have you. Um, but they're going to make a run for it. He's not necessarily going to go home or maybe he is, maybe that's the place he dreads to go, but they might actually like be safe there. I don't know, but they're taking off. So, uh, so end of long. Andrew and Dylan. <laughs> um, so the professor gives them the rules though. The rest of the surviving, you know, cast, uh, the experiment's going to go on. Every moment is fair game. They will stay on campus grounds at all times. They must keep their grades up or risk the consequences. The professor will say something like, you know, I think you all can agree that at this point I have proven to you that I mean when I say, when I give you a warning. Um, so then, you know, brushing through the, the, well, at well some so point, your, uh, your new status quo is you've, you've got four lead characters. Now you've got Ava, Caitlin, Allie, and Mona, um, each grouping the, the two of those uh are sharing a, a room or a house together so they're a little more close together and uh you've oh, written wow. off pretty much all the male cast i think yeah i don't have anything for episode three other than a couple of things before we get into the character stuff episode three potentially academic probation is the name of it uh caitlin avon zoe are given a study group or a group project where basically allison's going to be assigned as their ta um and they know that like yeah, they're, they're all taking psychology now <laughs> Yeah, they're all taking psychology now. They know that, like, okay, this is just something we've been assigned to do, but really they know this has been engineered by the professor to keep them together. And the idea is maybe they're going to plan and carry out something on BHU, like the Stanford Prison Experiment. I don't know. But Zoe's around. She's Ava's friend. She's comic relief. She's I think worried Zoe's got to be, like, their next-door neighbor in their dorm room. She's, at least she's, like, on the same hall as them. And yeah. I, I would want a real dorm room. Or like yeah. like Buffy's dorm room, where it's like, yeah, there's just like a bed and then some space and then another bed. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like like when they roll over, like they could be staring at each other. Yeah. yeah. Um. So also little things we see like there's a lot more like electronic locks and it's much more um uh, like a smart campus and digitized. Occasionally things glitch. Um. Anyway, so jumping into the characters of their arcs over the seasons, we figured out. Mona devotes herself to getting into this shit. Like this is the fight that she was born for. And thus staring into that abyss, perhaps Mona starts to go crazy or this experiment starts to make her think she's going crazy. Um, perhaps whatever they're doing, you know, there's pills that she's getting to fight off her adrenalized hyper reality. Some, some tension, some paranoia. She realizes, Oh shit, I, I refill those at the campus pharmacy um so maybe those are affecting her the group is going to start to worry if they can trust mona or if she's gone too far but i think also textually we will finally acknowledge her fucking amazing godlike powers too she's mona um well her potentially losing her mind would allow you to get more creative and stylized with like things that happen in the show yeah not necessarily supernatural but more like is she hallucinating you know 
really very psychological, a little bit more artsy. Uh, there's one scene that I threw in here that I think we absolutely have to have at some point, which is one of those ones where I, I, I don't the body snatcher scene. Well, definitely that, that's coming. This is not necessarily a scene that I want. It's a scene that I need. It's something where Allison has to break into somewhere mm-hmm. and she's got Mona doing like the person at the computer voice in the ear thing, guiding her through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also talk about like, we want to see more, let's get out in the woods. Cause obviously they're expanding. They're buying more property. BHU, you have plenty of locales that can be interesting that you can go to by keeping the characters quote unquote on campus. Yeah, fire trails in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ava dealing with the grief of Zach's death, she's going darker uh on the fashion side she's engaged to do all the costumes for like a big theatrical uh, uh production of something that's happening on campus i think, I think you're bearing uh, the lead here is that eva goes goth yeah 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 she goes fashion goth um maybe it's a play a piece of opera maybe it's like a greek tragedy like maybe she does like alcestis or something real dark stuff but it starts to suit her she gets to, like funnel her grief through it um, and as she's doing it, she gets drawn to one of the like lead actors in this production. He's a bad boy. He's a theater bad boy. His name is what's his Shadow. name? Shadow. Shadow. It's either his name or it's what he's called. <laughs> uh, I think we also throw around, you know, and bringing things from the books. His name could be Lucian because, of course, yeah. it would. So they they start a relationship. It's all about essentially giving into these naughty parts of herself. Um, but I think, holy shit, like Sophia Carson could like make several meals that she could devour out of that. Um, Caitlin thinks she's the best, probably the worst at playing along with the game. Uh, one thing I thought about was that she starts into like a will they won't they relationship with like an older boy, maybe a grad student, maybe. Maybe it's on the surface. She doesn't know if she can trust him or if he's just some normal dude. But like what I thought would be interesting is not like, oh, I met you. And like two episodes later, we're full on dating and ship it away, folks. Like yeah. let it burn. Like let people hunger for it. But uh, this dude's maybe interning at Hotchess Industries as well. Maybe he knew Jeremy. Uh, you know, just an attraction not fully given into. Um and maybe she knows that he's secretly evil, too. Maybe that's part of the draw. I don't know. Then there's Allison. She's lost. Maybe not alcoholic, but she's meaner. She's nastier. She's not fucking around, even when she is, like, moaning and whining. But, like, let's get let's get juicy. Let's get the Jack Bauer of TAs. Also, I think first half of the season, we have no Taylor. So Allison is straight up yearning for Taylor. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's just part of, like, what is uh, – uh, Mona said, like, if, if you think you're like a drama magnet, it's because you want to be a drama magnet. Mm. Maybe this is giving back on old habits. Uh, they eventually will start a relationship when Taylor comes back home, which the professor will try to, like, pervert and use against them. Uh, we talked about at one point, we'll get into this maybe a little bit, but uh, Taylor might find herself wearing the yellow top, not knowing its history or how it will affect Allison. Like, maybe um someone gives it to taylor or or we talked about maybe like zoe starts wearing it at one point but just things to like kind of like trigger allison um maybe like an eyes wide shut scene at one point after like they've they've finally been together and allison wakes up in the middle of the night and she goes in the bathroom and like brushes her teeth and she's like feeling good about this new relationship and she comes back to bed and taylor's still asleep and she smiles and she looks over and on her own pillow right next to sleeping taylor is the old allison mask <laughs> Just waiting for her to find it. Just doing a full eyes wide shut there. Yeah. Uh, like really get into like a fucking Mona episode, which we talked about could be called looking glass or through the looking glass. Uh, start to see her become more and more unravel. Like get into 
I think the like how she sees the world a little bit, which would really give itself to kind of the paranoia aspect didn't, of the show. Didn't we have uh, a thing with Zoe where it's like Zoe's programming starts glitching out or something where like yeah. Zoe's like losing her mind kind of in the background of the show the whole time? Yeah, so Zoe Zoe's going to, I think, by the end of season two, Zoe is like perhaps full on one of the perfectionists. But like little things where... You see a little Zoe's perspective, and she sees like the other girls, like they're kind of weird and strange. And then, like, there's like a thing where maybe she, yeah, like it's like she's walking around campus at night and she starts to notice things that were always there, but she never thought they were strange before, or starts to think she sees people in her room at night, you know, because I think you have a little bit of the the cleaners come in, like in Westworld, and they rearrange certain things, and it's, you know, part of the brainwashing you never realize. But yeah, Zoe's on her own little weird jaunt that will bring her into the rest of the group um but moment episode we start to see her becoming more unraveled also the height of her brain powers um you know if she could really see everything as a game master like would that cost her her sanity you know and how much of this is being egged on by the professor to make her think that she's crazy or or to further her her psychosis because i think if you're Mona, that's the most important thing you have is your brain. And if somebody can make you doubt that, you know, essentially gaslight you to some degree, like that's that's a real villain that you need to destroy. Um, so we talk about like there'd be like little scenes. It started off kind of minor. She comes home, checks her closet. All of her clothes are gone and it's been replaced by black hoodies. And red coats, yeah. And, and, or red coat. Well, she never really wore the red coat, though. Yeah, it could still be there, though. Mm. Um. You know what's not in this pitch is a, a way to get Sarah Harvey back in the show. Um, Maybe like a get, dream sequence. When we get to the end of season two, I promise you that that is totally possible okay. for season three. Uh, but maybe kind of like a little bit like the Dark Spencer saga. Perhaps a professor eventually reaches out to Mona, offers to give her a leadership role in this experiment. You know, basically being like, you know, I acknowledge your your prowess at this. I'm obviously using some of your own games against you. So she has to really try to ponder it. If she wants to do this, you know, if she thinks that she can corrupt the professor from the inside, this is Mona, right? This is Mona. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, you know, if she's tempted. She realizes that something about the professor's power is like the culmination of everything. She and Cece and Alex are doing is a, um, and of course the counterpoint to this, this is like an internal struggle for Mona or some fashion. The perps have to start to wonder if they can trust Mona, you know, if she's lost it or if she's turning evil, you know, they'll come to Allison with this. Allison be like, you guys are crazy. Allison, of course, will then start to suspect herself, you know, if Mona's trustworthy. Um, but the professor will continue to be unhappy with the antics of the perfs. Um, and he'll warn them, you know, like, if you don't, like, and keep getting edgy of my scenarios as programming, uh, something's coming for you. The reaping. Uh, talk about potentially an episode It's just, psycho gas or, or fear gas episode like not a lot of plot stuff just a big creepy moody episode where we really get to play with these you know dreams and nightmares and people hallucinating uh this might be the one where taylor comes home possibly for the first time from riverwell uh she feels better she feels more grounded she's also upset she knows things are complicated for mom she needs to confront her and finally talk to her about them she goes inside finds that her mom is there she's happy to see her she's wondering where she's been also there her dad alive and her brother Nolan also alive. It's like something out of like Nolan Batman. North. Yeah, maybe. But something out of like a Batman cartoon where Bruce Wayne comes home and finds his parents alive. So you know shenanigans are happening, um, which will also act as setup for later shit with Taylor. Um, so yeah, beyond that, lots of creepy bits. We talked about a scene where 
you know, very few camera setups. Like Mona's at home. She's working on stuff. She's going around the room. She's like passing by the mirror. Maybe she talks herself at one point. She's going to do stuff in the foreground. And we noticed that the reflection of Mona in the mirror suddenly turns around and looks at actual Mona for a moment, you know, kind of like Black Swanee. Uh, random episode titles we have for stuff here, Teacher's Pet, Dead Zones, you know, really playing up on some of those things that were thrown out in the finale. Uh, we joked about one episode could be just straight up Die Hard in a dorm. Something where Ava, Caitlin, Zoe are trapped in their dorm. Like the computer system is either glitched or taken over. It's like locked all the door. Something's bad. It's going to happen to all the kids there. So it's like up to the three of them to like try to get everyone to escape before the morning. Um, I think eventually they save the day, but something happens with like the various programming with the students that everyone forgets about the three of them. I think that's the episode where the, I don't know, producers or network or whoever is like, you know, the money for that. Yeah. Yeah. It really depends on how you shoot it, I guess. Um, or what the hell is going on? <laughs> uh, episode nine. I just threw this title on there. Uh, Crimson and Clover. Uh, part one of two part finale. Claire finally starts working with the perfectionist. She's acting as an ally to them. Some kind of realization that, you know, as the head of the school and whatever the hell her nebulous title is, like she realizes that she's not really in control. Like things are happening outside of her power and she can't she can't figure it out. So she needs to turn to these fucking outliers and outsiders. Uh, well, at some point, there's some kind of die then, right? We'll see. Huh? Some kind of gala put on by the Crimson Society uh, would be the backdrop for this episode, an excuse for the glitz and glamour. Also, a backdrop for espionage and skullduggery. Um, this is the one where we really think, oh shit, Mona's going to go evil, or the perfectionists are going to prove that she's gone evil and she's working with the professor. But all it's all actually a bluff. You know, they're in on it. It's it's so she can get close, learn the secrets. The perfs know this. They they know that Mona won't betray them. At the end, we do that thing where where there's some kind of big distraction. Mona's maybe taken away. She's actually going to go meet the professor, actually meet the fucking professor. She enters the door. It's kind of like Neo meeting the architect in the Matrix. She steps inside, ready to have all her questions answered, and she finds Nolan Hotchkiss sitting there in a chair waiting for her. That's the end of the episode. Episode 10, The Reaping, with, with a capital A in the middle there. Mona continues to have her conversation with the professor. We get the sense that the form of Nolan Hodgkiss is just one that was taken to make it easier for Mona. Uh, someone that she would recognize and would like elicit just the right emotional response from her. Uh, so basically, I don't think we decided if the, they're doing clones or robots. So we're going to say clone bots. But there's all kinds of like experiments with genetics and things happening in the bowels of Hotchkiss technologies and BHU. Uh, elsewhere, Allison, Ava, and Kaylin know that Mona's like doing her thing. They're using it as a distraction to break into the bowels of like maybe where the professor is like housed. Lots of servers, monitors showing security feeds. I big feel like you've added to this since we talked. This is pretty much what we talked about. Okay. Including glass tubes featuring unused Nolan Hotchkiss clones. Oh shit, clones. Um, you might even find like a deformed pigman version. <laughs> uh, so basically, this is all the nasty shit that Hotchkiss has been working on, uh, which we find then that there's also clones of Claire Hotchkiss. Something, something, something. Basically, I think if they do these clone bot things, that means the real person's dead. So, oh shit, real Claire's been killed. Mm -hmm. um, so she starts attacking them, like Terminator style. They have to like destroy her remaining like clones. The dust clears. You know, your coda there. Uh, Taylor breaks up of Allison, probably because of the grief of her mother being gone, which Allison understands that need for space. And she's been through that. You know, it hurts her, though. Um, epilogue one, we get a scene where Allison and Mona and Ava, 
Um, I, I feel like they have to leave campus here. Maybe they all move to New York together or something. Uh, it's mentioned finally that Ava's the one who killed Nolan, like real Nolan. Um, she maybe admits it nonchalantly to these two who've, you know, had blood on their hands before. And Ava says, what can I say? Nobody's perfect. Uh, either that or she reveals it during during the big action sequence where they maybe send like a clone of Zach after her. And she's just like, I've already killed one boyfriend. I can kill two. Uh, last epilogue, Professor has a conversation with Taylor explaining all the great things that, that he could accomplish. But the world's not ready to know about him just yet. BHU is a perfect place for him to operate from. And this place is always better if a Hotchkiss in charge of it. So Taylor agrees to stay on and act as the head of BHU and Hotchkiss Industries, replacing her mom. With the hope and understanding that the professor can give her her family back. So I think season three, um, it's Allison, Mona, and Ava moved on Don't to somewhere Caitlin. else. Well, and Caitlin there too. We'll see. See how, she's, how she does through season two. But I think, you know, they're, it's, it's, it's a Westworld season essentially. They've moved on somewhere else and they're watching as Beacon Guard is being like sold to, uh, across the country as a, as a, technological aid, a home security device, um, kick-ass Wi-Fi. Okay, how much more do you have? Because we've been going for like 25 minutes on this. Well, we, we were worried this would take an hour before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Taylor's basically your Elizabeth Holmes type. Um, yeah. And I think that's where we are. And I think some of that definitely couldn't get away with the budget. It had to be trimmed down. But I think the basic idea of the kind of school being set up to create like sleepers who are going to go out into the world that they can then control. Uh, and the professor is an AI. I, I really like all that. I doubt they'll go that way, obviously, but it can no, be a lot of fun. No. And I, I really think the show needs to do a major reset with the characters. Um, I just don't think Dylan works very well as a character. He's not particularly likable. I feel like mm-hmm. I like him more because of the performance maybe than like I should, because the character kind of sucks. Like, He's mm-hmm. he's just like he cheats a lot and doesn't seem very sorry about it. No, he has no no self own. Mm-hmm. I don't think he even really realizes that he's doing a thing that other people might <laughs> object yeah. to. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's you know, and we're getting rid of him in a way in which you could always bring back Dylan. Sure, sure, yeah. You know, like a, like a like a redone Dylan. Dylan. Um, so. That's just something we kind of bullshitted over an hour of Froyo. <laughs> because I, like I said, I think the show, it does need to reset slightly. There is some some very salvageable material there, but you can also use it as a springboard to like take it to a whole other place too, you know. So season three, you could bring in Shower Harvey. You could bring in Eddie Lamb. You could have some fun with some characters, you know, mm-hmm. from PLL lore. All right. Should we do questions now? We should. Uh Thank you to everyone for indulging in that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would love it if they they went at least a little in the direction of streamlining the cast. Perhaps um, it's like if you want to if you want to be a paranoia show, like you gotta go for it. You know, like go all the way. Like it well, just, it seems like so kind of half baked so far. Like the Beacon Guard, like paranoia stuff. I feel like the thing is that stuff's all there, but they really haven't. The show itself, it's not said, we want to be a paranoia show. You know, that's that's kind of the problem. It's like we want to be this glitz and glamour, teenage sensationalism show. Um, and it's like, then why are we doing all this stuff with security cameras and you're always being watched? Because <laughs> it's not like the characters are ever concerned. Yeah. Um, also, we should thank everyone who came out and actually met us at that brewery. 
Yeah, my uh, first question uh, here is in relation to that because we talked about this a little bit on Twitter. Um, Malcats uh, on Twitter wants to know uh, more details on the dude claiming illiteracy. So, do you want to tell the story, Marco? No. No? Okay. So, um, basically, this guy showed up to our meetup uh, and he, he came up and just said something like, Is this the meetup? And some of the people with us were like, Yeah. And so he like just came and sat down. We gave him a copy of Trouble, and he just kind of sat there quietly, kind of leaning in, trying to kind of follow along with conversations and whatnot. And after about forty minutes or so, he was like, "I think I'm in the wrong meetup." And he just like got up and he like handed the book back, and we're like, "Oh no, you can keep it." And he's just like, "I'm illiterate." It was just like he was just saying it to like I don't know. It's like the only excuse he could think of not to take the book, and he just basically like ran away. Pretty hilarious. It would have been better if he just said, you know what, fuck your book. Did that yeah. like insult you that he said he was illiterate? No, I just thought it was lame. I mean, his whole thing was kind of weird and lame, but like it was pretty funny when he's just like, hmm, you know what, I might be in the wrong spot. And he pulls out his app for meetup.com. And I'm like, dude, we're not on meetup.com. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think he went that table over there where they're all wearing name tags. <laughs> yeah, that was the deal with that guy. All right, so I will take the next question from Jasmine. Is Benjamin Light James Taylor, and why the name change? Uh, yes, and because I wanted to publish a book with my real name on it. Okay. So, perfectionist questions here. We have, uh, we have lots of these, so buckle up. Uh, MiaMC24 mm-hmm. asks, following the final season with Booker and Ava, or I'm sorry, final scene with Booker and Ava, I'm hoping they bring her back, not as a villain, but more as a reluctant team perfectionist helper in, in a sense. Uh, thoughts? Uh, I'd be fine never seeing Booker again, personally. I like the character, but you'd have to find a real reason that she's like a completely new Booker or what have you for me to like be cool with this. Plus, I think, I honestly feel like they wrapped up her story. Yeah. One. Mm-hmm. Uh me also asked, where does Ray fit into all this? Ray Hogadorn? Who knows? Um, it seems like when you have a list generated and it's all the main cast members and one incredibly expendable person, that that person is going to die or, mm-hmm. or can they can be burned. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we've got a freebie here in case we want to, like, you know, show them the consequences of not participating in the experiment or something like that. Um I would not be shocked if we just never hear from Ray again. I don't know. We'll see. So I saw an interview with Marlene from after the finale where somebody asked her about Ray Hagenhorn. And oh, yeah. she said, Who? we're going to get answers about that early in season two. Mm. And I remembered a lot of times TV creators, when they do these interviews right after a finale, nothing has, has been decided about anything in season two. So. It's going to be like a... On like the TV, like uh, you know, local BHU news network in the background is gonna be like janitor found dead or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think I don't think like if you never hear from Ray Hagenhorn again, I don't think somebody oh, shit. I don't know, maybe. But I don't think anyone's gonna be like, hey, you said in this Entertainment Weekly interview that he, we would find out about him early in season two. And she's going, eh. yeah. And then lastly, Mia asks, why can't Ava just use the same damn solo cup for a day of drinking? I guess she's just so artistic. And fashionable, you know, she has to build pyramids out of them. She's I think too it, good like, to use a single solo cup. Yeah, she's really just like making a big performance to herself of her grief. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said, but making it fashion, making it art. Um, 
There's a lot of text here from from Kristen, but I'm going to jump to the questions. Thank you for your long comment, Kristen. She says, my question to you guys is, do you feel that they are trying too hard to make Allison and Monet characters that work in the series, but changing them too much from their seven seasons on PLL? Mm, uh, perhaps. Together, I think to a certain degree on the show, it's the rest of the show fitting around them. Well, I do think if you were going to try to take characters from PLL, to the two hardest characters to take would be Allie and Mona. Because yep. of the way they always operated within PLL. Um, yeah. Allie was kind of a very mysterious and cool character for five seasons on the show. And then she got brainwashed and like zapped of her personality. But before that, it was like she was a real wild card. And Mona obviously is like a super genius villain. And so like, how do you realistically put these people, these two characters in conflicts? You kind of have to, you know, depower them a little bit, basically. And make Allie more like Team Mom, and have Mona just not be as competent as we know she could be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I but I think taking the two characters that are hardest to spin off and putting them together, there's there's a kind of brave genius in that, and having them both struggle for something normal or something like humanity is an interesting idea. It's it's the rest of the stuff that you said it, it forces you to like depower them in a way that doesn't feel organic. But like, there's a reason why it's like. Yeah, let's put John Locke and Ben Linus together as much as possible at the end of Lost. Those characters are great together. Um, and then the next question is, if you could have anyone from the original series join the cast, who would you want? I feel like we got a lot of iterations. A of lot this of iterations question. questions. So join the cast, like I guess as like a, a recurring character. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, you mentioned... Sarah Sterling Harding. MVP. I mean, that would be fascinating. If she's playing again, Bethany Young... I mean, I think Eddie Lamb, I would love to get Eddie Lamb on the show as like, I don't know, working at the campus hospital or something. Um, Like major characters, it would be pretty hard to bring in some of the main four, I think. Um, Bridget Yu. Yeah, there you go. The whole whole Yu dynasty is is mentioned. She's, her parents, I don't know, invented Scrabble or something. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) they invented Yahtzee. Uh, so you want a piece with me as uh, the professor is a character we already know from the PLA universe. Who would your dream come true and who would fill you with more rage than the Mason and Mona storyline? So what would be your dream uh, character from PLL that's secretly the professor? I mean, the one that's really bonkers and I don't know if it totally makes sense or if it's a smart choice, but the easy, like kind of satisfying one I think would be Alex Drake. Mm hmm. Uh, so I thought about that, but then I, I decided to pick something else, which is uh, Jenna Marshall. Mm. I think Jenna just sitting there with her blind glasses on, like running the uh, professor computer. Mm-hmm. Just all, all braille keyboard. Yeah. Uh, who would I... you hate? Lucas? Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, yeah, if Lucas was secretly like the hacker running the professor, wah, wah, no thanks. <laughs> Pooper really took off. But as I was designing Pooper, I realized I had a whole other kind of game. <laughs> it's running Matt's through a maze, or Rats through a maze. Um, but I, I like the idea of Jenna, like, I really do like the idea of Jenna just somehow being in the uh, Beacon Heights ecosystem just to, like, fuck with Allie and Mona. Because <laughs> that was that was the cool thing about Jenna in the beginning of PLO and that Shower, Shower Harvey kind of took over. Just that person who 
oh god like whatever the fucking brilliant quote jacob had about just like <laughs> blood running up walls like mm-hmm. children being born with their eyes backwards like everything was just wrong in the universe when she walks into a room yeah um, um we did have one more kind of common question from you want a piece with me is just does your season two pitch include mrs greenwald uh no obviously you just heard that um and she has some comments here about uh if emily was on the show and Allie having to deal with twins i mean that would have been interesting, but I think that would require being able to get Shay Mitchell back on your show. And I don't know, she like costs more now than she did before. Who knows what? So, you know, or she just maybe just wouldn't want to do it. You know, like that'd be the hard thing, like getting any of these cast members back. Like yeah. I could, I could maybe see like you could talk them into like a cameo or like an episode thing, but like I seriously doubt any of them the main four want to come back and be a recurring character on this show. And that's the thing. I I think, are you telling me that like if one of them picked up the phone and said, I want to be on this show in any capacity, if I want to, I want to do a five minute cameo on this show, you tell me they wouldn't move heaven or if they make that happen. Mm-hmm. These characters, these actors have, they've moved on the new stages of their career. They did seven what years if, of it. Yeah. 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 I mean, this is an intense show. Like, so like 160 new, new challenges. <laughs> yeah. Bulk of the series. Um, but like, what if like is super insulting? What if they got like the the Shay Mitchell stand in, and we just only saw like the back of Emily's head, or <laughs> be, she just becomes like a was like Maris on Frasier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or just Norm's never wife. see her. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so a bunch of questions from Jasmine here. Have you gone back to find any Easter eggs we may have missed throughout the season? Mm. I don't know if there are any. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it was that kind of season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what is the deal with Mona and the mirror people in the first episode? I really want that developed. Like, who was she talking to slash working for? Um, uh, do you get a sense TBA that that's on the, on the table still? Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, they it was in the pilot, so they yeah. they must want to do something with it. I don't... Is, is it connected to the professor or is it connected to something else? Um we don't know. I don't think it's connected to the professor. At least you wouldn't. That, that wasn't the impression I got based on the professor running a weird psychological experiment and those people seeming more like they either worked for Beacon Guard or some other company using Beacon Guard or something like that. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, do you think anything was Booker messing with the perfs or was it all the professor? Um I kind of hope some of it was the professor, to be honest with you. I don't know. I think we know it was Booker, like who was like stringing Ava along, like leaving that message and her like pencil sharpener. Um, So we know that was her, but like the, uh, the stuff with the, like the scoreboard or the rat, I'm going to assume all that was the professor, but I don't, I don't know. I like, I would not be shocked if Booker's like not on the show next season. And so is there any real need to tie that up and be like, actually it was Booker who planted the rat in the car. Like, what does that get you? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think they started doing some of that work with Ava talking about like, Oh, but all these things that were adding up, even though there weren't that many of them, um, all these three things that happened. Yeah. Like the rat in the car. Uh, do you think the professor killed Mason because they thought it was what the perfs wanted? I, I think, think you mean Nolan. Yeah, I think you mean Nolan. But I like what you're asking here. Yes, I think the professor will kill Mason because that's what they think mm-hmm. this podcast wants. Um, I, mean, uh, I think the professor 
says they killed Nolan uh, because it was what the perfectionist wanted. Uh, I would think it would be more because the, the professor perhaps knew that he could ensnare them would be my guess. <laughs> when Lyndon, Lyndon St. Germain James gets killed and it's like, Emily, thanks for doing me a solid. I, I owe, owe you one. Yeah. <laughs> You're a true bro. Um, what is professor's motive for torture? She asks, Fun. uh, well, you've heard our version of it, yeah. <laughs> uh, to learn. Yeah. I don't I, know that it's really been established in the text. I, I would assume that the professor does not see this as torture, but an experiment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we know if a season two is happening or question mark exclamation point and tarot bang? Uh, we do not know yet. Marlene said in her interview that she was talking to Brian Holdman about ideas for season two and they're going to pitch them. Uh, we don't know anything more than that. I don't know when we will. Um, I mean, what is it? It's June now. Yeah. If they wanted a show to come out around the same time as the show came out this year, they start filming probably in October. You would think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they could do a little bit quicker turnaround, but yeah, I don't. I would assume that. So between now and October, that's only like what four months. Yeah. And you got to have like, if you're filming, then then you need a writer's room for several weeks before. So I get. I would think by July we'll know whether or not the show is coming back. If well, we, if we haven't heard by then, then it's like, well, if it is, it's not coming back for a while. And like, if you look at the, you know, this is all from through social media, like look at the timeline of things like that writer's room met for four or five months. Uh-huh. And it's not like by the That's time they started filming with. episode two, they had all 10 scripts. You know, they were still writers were still working on them and mm-hmm. you know, rewrites and what have you. So, yeah, man, I don't know. I would think Brian would need to bring in some like some VIPs, you know what I mean? Some people who like he knows can like do turnaround, like 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 turn out some good work right at the start. Um, but I, some of that might be like in contracts. So I think the way it works with writer's room is like you get you hired for like a certain amount of weeks of work. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if you can just be like, you guys need to bust this out and do it in five weeks. Like, I don't know if you could do that no, with writers. No, there's like, like guild you stuff. know, when you're hiring, like, like, am I taking a chance on you? Yeah. Like, yeah. Sure. I, I can fucking trust you. You got the goods. Um, I was going to say something else and I forgot what it was. I'm sure it'll come back to me. Also, like, we talked about some other podcasts before. There's a thing happening in TV now where uh, networks like shows that they own. You know, some shows are not owned by networks. This is a Warner Brothers show on a Disney network. So you got to have a really good season that makes sense cost effectively. Right. Um, yeah. It's a whole person of interest thing where it's a high rating show, but it was, I believe that was a Warner Brothers show as well, but it was on CBS. And so it yeah. wasn't as valuable to the network as other shows. Also, uh, I don't know if you had told me before, but Jackie Molina was on person of interest. That's right. Yeah, she is. Uh, so Rosemary Coffee asks, what part of the books do you think they could include in the second season and make it work? Uh, she could see Ava's stepmom being a hoot. Um, yeah, any, anything other than Ava's dad, who was not a hoot. Um, mm-hmm. I still feel like they could do something with the people dying in the way that they had joked about or talked about. Yeah. Um, we've got two more seemingly that they could do there. Um, what about you? Yeah, I mean... Ava's stepmom was like fun in the book. I just don't know. I mean, I think people want us to say Julian Parker. I don't think that's ever going to happen or not in a way that we're expecting. Um, I like Mackenzie in the book, so 
Yeah. But Mackenzie is, is Zoe. She's my girl Zoe, right? Somewhat. Uh, so what PLS character would make the best cameo? I feel like we've... Alex Drake. Yeah. Oh, it'd be really fun to do a You Think It's Spencer, But It's Alex thing. <sighs> Could you do that again? <laughs> yes. Uh, or she's there for like two episodes and she's like, gotcha. <laughs> yeah. And then Rose also has this, Nolan is alive. What scenario do you think that could happen? Uh, part of the professor's game. Uh, so clones, I don't know. I mean, I I don't think you could go to the twin well again on a PLL show, but honestly, the worst, a show that I love to my core, even though like the last five, six years of it were trash. The X-Files, every time fucking Cancer Man returned, I remember there was one where it's like you just keep seeing this kid like delivering mail to a secluded cabin in the mm-hmm. frozen Canadian north, and it's like eventually revealed to be Cancer Man. So yeah, if it's just like uh, Chris Mason with like a big shaggy Unabomber beard in the middle of the woods somewhere. Now I've gone off the grid. <laughs> uh, so Lizzie asks, which elements of the Perfectionist books would have would you have included in season one? Um, oh. I think you you had a good one. Just the more people dying in the sense that in the sense that they they mused about yeah i mean if i mean if we're going back to season one and you know none, none of the show has happened yet i think you could do a julie parker thing uh like you could do it with allison and mona um i don't think that i mean you know fight club exists like you can cheat it, it there's ways to get around mr robot yeah mr robot like there's ways to get around that um, and then I, I feel like Max storyline was probably the one of the best from the books. I feel like you could have worked more of that into it, like mm-hmm. her kind of her rival, you know, frenemy and the guy who seems like he likes her, but then is it just like working for the frenemy and then like meeting all the new people. I mean, there's lots of good stuff there, you know, yeah, I don't which know they did need, none of it with uh, Dylan. I don't know if you need like the Friday bros or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, Fluent Foodie, this is really more of a comment than a question. Uh, her main thing is uh, she thinks it goes against the central thesis of OGPLL that you can't trust anyone but your friends. And she doesn't think that they ever justified why the perfectionist would trust a random advisor and a TA over other authority figures, which, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, is there a I guess, yeah. Uh, Chanda so- or Chanda? Is this also swift like ninjas? Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's like a weird emoji of a... I think it's an ant. ant. Yeah. Okay. That scares me. Um, Shanda's asking, do you think that Mona's quote unquote confession is foreshadowing her being killed? I mean, she's in the crosshairs for sure. So she's this is Mona saying, I hope, I, I hope that I figure out who you are before I die or something like that. Yeah. 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 Um, she, you know, she's probably one of the more expendable cast members just because she does have other work that she could do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the cat and Janelle Parrish does, and she's the most inconvenient character probably to write because yeah. you either have to kind her. of like just ignore a lot of her talents and backstory or write around them. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope not. I definitely would be way, 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 way less interested in this show if Mona was on it. Yeah. But I think, like, again, this is her, this is kind of why we had our pitch featuring her in the way it did is because this is a Mona who, like, she has the skills to take on this particular entity, but also wouldn't she be the most offended by somebody Mm. stepping into her house? Yeah, really. (laughs) Uh, So Anonymous has a bunch of little short questions here. Who hit Caitlin with the car? 
Well, same Mason. Sure. Uh, will the pigmen ever come back? Probably not. Yeah, say no. Uh, she agrees with Ava. She agrees with me, I guess, that uh, Ava seems like she has like a shaved head, like like an undercut. Um, what do you think Jeremy is guilty of? Mm. Eh. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we'll ever find out. I'm kind of mm. hoping they do write him off the show. If they were just like blood clots, he died on the, you know, in the hospital or I'd be fine. Yeah, I mean, I think in our in our pitch, like Jeremy, if he survived, it's like he comes back in season three, like he's fully working for Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm-hmm. Like he's also like Nolan's ex or something. I mean, the, the most likely thing, what is he guilty of, is like Professor's been blackmailing him to just do dirty work. Maybe he's the one who planted the rat or like yeah. programmed the scoreboard, stuff like that, you know? It's uh, it's quite possible that the professor is just blackmailing him of Caitlin's blackmail material because yeah. you know he was made aware of it immediately. Uh, do you think the professor is Granger? I'll say no. I don't. I don't even know. I like who's that? That Professor Granger is who? That's who Allie is the TA for. Right, right. But my point is, who is that on the show? Like we've never seen no. this person mentioned twice. I just think that professor is there because it wouldn't make sense for Allie to be the professor so she had to be a TA so there's mm. just like an off-screen professor uh, yeah. will we see our Argentinian professor again I don't think so yeah I don't think he got a particularly good response from the fans yeah, no. uh, yeah. Uh, so Mo asks whose show is this exactly? Is this a Mona Allison spinoff and other characters just happen to fall in their story considering began the show of Allison in her car or is this about the perfs? Because I don't know. And it seems like the show doesn't either. I don't know if I missed the scene explaining it wasn't Caitlin recording situation where she ultimately hit Mason over the head and ran off. What happened to the camera and the video evidence of literal assault? Who is the show belong to exactly is of course the identity crisis of the show. Because that's, that's a, <laughs> it it seems like it should be Allie's show based on what we've seen, but then yeah. you have these other three characters that are somewhat disconnected from things. So yeah, that's kind of the problem of the show. Uh, yeah. I agree there. As far as the uh, the evidence that she hit Mason over the head, remember that? Yeah, that's a good question. It seemed like that was going to be a plot point that went somewhere, and then it never came up again. It's happened in the uh, the missing twelve hours of that twenty four hours earlier. Yeah, I mean it. It seems like it could be kind of pointless to come up again now because they already press already has good blackmail on her. So you know, I think who cares? Uh, as we discussed, here's here's the canon that we would suggest going forward with episode one, episode ten. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, M. Meg Merman. Uh, Feel of Perfectionist is like, uh, I think this is American Horror Story, except every episode is supposed to be a self-contained miniseries. Intentional? Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't... Someday it'd be fascinating to get like the uh, the tell-all in like 10 years of like what was going on this season mm. and, and why it seems like so many episodes seemed somewhat disconnected. But uh, yeah, we don't know. Maybe someday we'll find out. By the time you watch anything on your screen, let's just say television is a complicated entity. Yeah. Uh, so Katie, for an exclamation point, says, if PLL were to come back for another go-around with all the original liars, what would be on your wish list for it? 
so I presume this would be like following in the fad of uh, like a revival know, like, or something. Also, have you actually seen the plot of this Beverly Hills 90210 thing? No. It is not like here's all these fucking characters in like their 50s pretending to be in their 40s. It is like they're playing themselves trying to do like a a reboot. Like a Curb Your Enthusiasm when they did that season where it's like the Seinfeld. Oh, really? Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So like Brian Austin Green's playing fucking Brian Austin Green, which is it sounds like a nightmare. Is Megan Fox going to be on the show? No, they've cast somebody to play his wife who's like not Megan Fox. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure Megan Fox is like, fuck no, I have a career. Um. So as far as like if they did a PLL revival or something like that, um, I feel like like some kind of vacation movie, like the liars go on a cruise or they go to Paris or I don't know. Like I feel like get them out of Rosewood. I yeah. think that would be fun. I, I think I, you'd, it would be better to do something self-contained that would then like be like, it's just another season of PLL. And it's like at this point, why are the liars not just immediately going to the cops? Like how do they keep getting involved in these situations? If we were somewhere contained like on a cruise ship or on vacation you know like something mm-hmm. that would explain that i think that would work a lot better again i think shockingly the pll wine moms like the spinoff of that would have worked like a lot better than you would have thought i kind of wonder if we ever get a reboot of PLO or a return to PLO if it's going to be like there now the mm-hmm. wine moms um but yeah something self-contained where you can actually Get the actors a degree to something where it's like I can one and done. I collect a paycheck and then I'm then I'm out. But I like the uh, the bullshit excuse from Ocean's Thirteen about like should we alert all of our stupid significant others? Not their fight. <laughs> it's not my fight. Plus, Toby's busy being the mayor. Also, obviously, Spencer is like the real mayor, right? Like Toby's just the figurehead, the, the quote unquote pretty face. Mm-hmm. Um. Katie asks, if an OG liar were to join the perfs, who would you want to see and what would their storyline be? I mean, if you're talking about one of the core liars, I, I, I don't see that happening. Like, I don't Emily see would Worf. make the most sense, I guess. Yeah, I don't see Worf joining Deep Space Nine here. Um, yeah. I think from the show, though, I think we talked about Jenna in some capacity would be really interesting. It would just be even more unbalanced if, like, another of the OG liars is on the show. Then it's like Ava, Caitlin and Dylan. Why are you even here? You know? Yeah. With this person who's like now in their thirties. Um, although we could, we could rehash an idea that was brought up on this podcast before where Jenna shows up with her brand new boyfriend. Peter, Peter Hastings. Hastings. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Uh, uh, trouble. Yes, Katie. Um, to the end. So Lib Frozen asks, uh, your PLO podcast has several really, very welcome, strong references to Buffy in each episode. They're seriously lacking in the Perfectionist podcast. Uh, each that, episode? I guess. I don't know. Is that a conscious process? No, I don't think so. Um, do you feel like the Perfectionist belongs to a different lineage of shows? If so, which one? I mean, it's. I'm surprised we didn't make more like Buffy season four episodes because yeah. that's the college year and this is the college show. Maybe that's an indictment. I don't know. I feel um, like we talked about Riley Finn a few times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Do, uh, Does everyone remember how Riley Finn was initially pitched in the casting announcement? That's the uh, Clark Kent to uh, Angels Batman. Was that what it yeah, is? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm. uh, but does the perfectionist belong to a different lineage of shows? I would say so, yeah. I don't think if you're talking about a lineage that runs from Buffy 
uh, it hops to maybe Veronica Mars and then to PLL. And there's, you know, maybe you could put Gossip Girl in there or something too. Um, I don't think the perfectionist is really doing a good job as like the vanguard of the teen mystery show. It's not a teen show for one. Uh, they're in college. Um, I think it seemed like Riverdale was going to try to be that for a season and then just like completely shit the bed and went off the rails. So I don't think there really is one right now. Also, and to a certain degree, PLL too, which is very much about a, about female friendship, which is awesome. Yeah. But at the very end of that show, at the apex of its, you know, predators, uh, Toby steps in and Spencer's dourest hour of need and identifies the true Spencer as opposed to twin sir. Yeah. Meanwhile, in season two of Buffy, there's a point where her evil boyfriend says, you have no friends, no backup, no plan, no hope. What do you have? And he swings a sword at her and she catches it with her eyes closed and says, I still have me. Um, I don't think it's remotely the same lineage. Well, it, it was for a while. I think there was a lineage of like that teen show. And I think PLL was that for a long time. The perfectionists now, I don't know what they are, really. It gets kind of, it's not really a teen show. Mm. It's not doing a great job of being a college show either. So, mm. yeah. I mean, I, I want to see it morph into a point where Mona and Allison are really great teachers to Ava. Or, you know, just women who are slightly older that she can look up to. We'll see. Um so Nick asks, who handles their liquor better? High school Jason with a six pack and a little weed or Ava from the first half of the perfectionist of her red solo cup? Um, Ava. You think Ava? I think Jason. I mean, granted, he doesn't remember anything from like who knows how many years that he was we, drunk. But he like he just seemed more, I don't know, chill. He wasn't so sulky. We literally he doubted himself. Dagger into a scene and pass out. I'd say it's handling it well. I, what I love about Jason, though, is that I guess he's he's a he's a dude in Rosewood. He was allowed to fucking coast on all that, though. It's like ah, he can't he can't worry about Jason. He may or may not have cleaned himself up and wore a suit for like three months, but it's like he doesn't even have to be questioned by the police and his sister's mysterious disappearance because he was like, man, I was stoned. What do you want from me? Okay. <laughs> uh, Collect Sunrays asks, what was your favorite scene from this season? Hmm. What was your favorite scene from The Perfectionist? I don't feel like this is my final answer, but honestly, the first one that comes to mind is season or episode four when Mona gets the message from Bad Bishop and we hear the look of love on the soundtrack and then all of a sudden a fucking screwdriver lands on the table beside her. Hmm. I think that scene's forever ruined for me because of the Mason thing. Um, yeah. I would say honorable mention Allie like drinking as she signs her divorce papers. I just like the vibe there. Um, but if I had to pick one, I guess when they meet the professor, just cause it was like, Oh, this is the show. Yeah. I don't know why it took so long to get here, but yeah, this is good. This works. Yeah. What if I just said Mona yelling at a, at a people in a room full of TVs? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, let's see Kristen ask. If you could enter the escape room type challenges and only pick four people to accompany you, two from OG PLL and two from the perfectionist, who would it be and why? Oof. I feel like there's a perfect answer to this, but I'm curious what you would say. Mine might be perfect. I, I should say I've never done an escape room, so I don't know. I wonder if she's saying escape room or like, like that movie escape room. I think she means like escape rooms that like 
LA people do. Uh, it says escape room type challenges. And I've, you know, I've been to some of the ones out here and they're not like deadly like that stupid movie. Yeah, I don't think she's talking about the movie. But uh, so the four I'd pick, two from PLL, Spencer, Hannah, and the two from Perfectionist, uh, Zoe and Taylor. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I suppose Mona would be a good choice in there too. But... Yeah. My, my choices would be Spencer and Kayla from OGPLL and um, Mona and Taylor from The Perfectionist. Okay. Uh, Kina asks, uh, which college would you rather attend? Beacon Heights, Sunnydale, Sunnyvale University, or Greendale? What is Greendale? Is that like the... Oh, community. Oh, Greendale community. Okay. Yeah. So Sunny Sunnydale U. Yeah. Okay. Or actual Sunnyvale. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, Sunnydale University is basically a combo of like Santa Barbara and UC Santa Cruz. Also... So I kind of already went there. The initial plot tease for season four of Buffy was straight up talking about how Buffy was going to fight the big bad, which was Sunnydale U's professor of demonology. <laughs> Um, I wouldn't want to go to Beacon Heights. I don't think. Mm. I mean, I, I guess Sunnydale U, I kind of already went there because um, mm. it was based on my college. But yeah, I, I don't think I would want to go to Beacon Heights. It doesn't seem like a fun place or maybe it's just the show kind of, you know, damaging my opinion of it. And Greendale is just a community college. So no thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they literally have a butthole is their yeah. iconic figure on a flag yeah sunnydale would be fun i don't know if i'd drink the beer there um the what was the one guy from sunnydale parker there's probably Parkin parker's parker, yeah. oh, every there's college parkers campus. at every college yeah uh keen also asks would this show have been better if ava had actually been bitten by a vampire yes absolutely yes yes 100 yes, yes, yes. uh yes. how could they get jenna on this show because isn't she the other big bad uh uber bitch in rosewood you think she's just running amok in Pennsylvania now that Ali and Mona are gone? Um, I don't know how they could get her. I don't think it would take a whole lot of effort for just like you hear some tap, 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 and she walks up, you know, like, and she's like, I'm a professor here. What? You guys accepted Ali. You're going to accept me, you know? Professor of survival skills. Yeah. Or whatever she was teaching. For us. Like life skills or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That works for me. Um, What's the real name? Lacey, Lacey Banana. That's cute. Um, do you think that Marlene will still be involved with the show if there's a season two? Uh, I think on one hand, not as much as you think. On the other hand, I don't think she'd ever really fully let this go. Her so. interview suggests that she would be working with Brian Holdman. So I would guess that like he would become the showrunner, but she'd still be kind of there. But I mean, she has like this new development deal at Fox. So. Yeah. I can assume that that's going to be her like main thing she's doing, but who knows? Yeah. Well, like I mean, the key thing I would point out is we we think about Marlene with like famous in love, but she wasn't actually the showrunner. Mm -hmm. So you know she'll be involved, of course, and she'll I think always be the cheerleader for these shows, which is more important than you realize. Um, and if it gets canceled by the network, what will be the next step for the PLL verse? Um, that's a good uh, question. Yeah, I don't know if there will be a next step. Um, Mm, I don't know. Bring back Toby, Mary Toby. Uh, I mean, I I kind of, I mean, they've kind of teased at it in various ways on the original show. I kind of wonder if you would just need to do some variation of the the ending of PLL there. So it's like PLL, a, the new class. Yeah, something, yeah. yeah but that, like, really, that would be the easiest way to do it. 
go back into yeah kind of go back into like the mythos of like rosewood that like joseph doherty you know was thinking about stuff like that um like don't don't tie it back into alex drake and stuff like that or, or you know i don't know like again i think you need to make it friendly for new viewers uh, it's a weird line to walk between like, hey, this is a brand new show. If you've never seen any of these shows before and hey, fans from the old shows, you'll love this. Um, Lacey asks, is it possible that Ray Hagedorn was just full of shit and making up every single thing he said to Mona? Yeah, sure. sure. Yeah, I mean, he could have just been wacko. Um, I just thought of a, of a reference for Ray Hagedorn, but I could make it, but only you would get it. So mm-hmm. what's the point? Um Something from the Village of the Crazies from uh, Jim oh, yeah, yeah. So which perfectionist character, Lacey asks, would you most want to be friends with and which would you most likely be friends with? My girl my Zoe girl. and my girl Zoe. You really think Zoe would have you, huh? I mean, I, I'm i generally like a, you know, I'm a good boy. I'm not the, the kind to act out and cause a bunch of trouble when we're supposed to be doing work. So I feel like we could be friendly. Mm-hmm. I feel like the wrong person just heard that as a challenge. Ladies, get out of the sky. Um, (laughs) um, I feel like I would love to be friends with Taylor. Um, I'm not good enough for a Taylor. Are you kidding me? Um, I don't know who on the show I would actually be friends with. Shit. I mean, like personality-wise, meshing, I don't know. Um, Maybe Ava. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I guess you bros will never do another TV show podcast unless there's one I miss. But is there a show or shows that you wish you could have talked about or analyzed in a similar fashion? Yeah, there's tons, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we've always joked about a lost one or Buffy one. We actually almost did a person of interest one. Um, I guess the thing is with shows that are not on the air, you're going to get way less listenership if they're, if yeah. they're already off the air. And at a certain point, it's like, what what would be a better use of my time working on trouble or doing a podcast that's going to have very low listenership about a show that's not on the air anymore you know yeah, yeah. um PLL was kind of a magical thing cuz it was airing as we were discovering it uh, and yeah. so we could kind of hop on board um, which which i got to say was like less of a actual thought consciously really yeah. for me this was more of a labor of love and something i could do with my friends so i really jumped on it um and it just it just ended up working better for us i mean we were doing another podcast at the time and which was fine and was fun but like i don't know something about this show just really you know spoke to something in us and but yeah lost buffy countless shows would be fun but you know it'd have to be the right circumstances i don't want to say never again but i just don't know man right yeah um if somebody else were to like produce it for us, that'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, the main thing with PLL is just the notes. I mean, you'd have to switch to a different format if we're going to do yeah, some yeah. show. Which, you know, for the people who complain, you remember once upon a time we didn't do it this way. Um, I answered that question. What was your favorite episode of the podcast to do, of the new show in particular, just to make it more difficult for you? Hmm. What was your favorite perfectionist episode to podcast about? Uh, I mean, the last one we did was pretty fun when you were here. Yeah, that was good. It was nice Mm -hmm. to be in the same room. Um, Other than that, maybe the pilot? Yeah, before the pilot or maybe episode four before we start to get really disillusioned with the show. Yeah, because I mean, I think 
the hope, the excitement, the optimism in episode four, the exact opposite of that in episode five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh boy. And then I remember, I remember being really afraid of that, that, uh, that Skype call with you. Cause I was just like, what if he's not feeling the same way that I am? <laughs> yeah. So whatever once on Instagram asks, uh, she's got like some lightning round questions. So, uh, Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Harry Potter. I cannot choose. That's like choosing between my heart and my soul. Uh, Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Coke. Broken arm or broken leg? Oh, that's a weird one. I, I know this one you also can't choose, right? This is both your uh, sweet spots. <laughs> no, I can choose this one easily. Broken arm. Yeah, broken leg. That's that's way more complications there, you know? I mean, can I, can I still like use my hand? Yeah, sure. Okay, well, I guess. Even if you couldn't, though, would you really want a broken leg? No, Crutches, no, I, I, yeah, oh, yeah. That's really gonna use slow the restroom. Me. Yeah, me down. Uh, ninjas or pirates? Ninjas. Who picks pirates? I was gonna pick pirates. Really? Okay, to explain to me your pirate love. I don't know. I just pirates are cool. They have cutlasses, you know. I once knew a well, a friend of a friend of a friend who was going to a Michelle Branch concert because he had just read on the internet the day before that Michelle Branch had a fetish for pirates. So he bought a whole pirate getup and was going to a Michelle Branch concert, which was incredibly stupid plan for a lot of reasons, but Mm -hmm. also she was married. So, Mm. um, okay. Next one. Toilet paper over or under. I have no opinion on this personally. I, I, it's not something that it just goes on when our way goes on. I I know I'm not offended. You know, if I go to someone's house and like, I take a shit at their place, but like, and it's like, that's under, but I, think i just tend to do mine over okay uh reading or writing that's it's two different things okay um i don't know i like doing them both maybe reading a little more uh mullet or mutton chops well i mean you can't honestly you can't do one without the other i don't think sure i mean uh, that's an answer for you and i i don't know if other people would answer that but anyway mullet or mutton chops oh jesus i guess mutton chops i guess because mullet is just a no yeah Plus, uh, as you and I talked about that weekend, uh, people like the uh, easy, generic expression of masculinity through facial hair. So there you go. <laughs> so somebody's into mutton chops, right? Sure. <laughs> All right. So that was, yeah. So Carla asks, fuck, Mary kill, Mason, Nolan, or Jeremy? I think we're both going to have the same answer here. Like, fuck, Nolan, Mary, Jeremy, kill Mason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she then asks, fuck, Mary, kill Ava, Caitlin, Taylor. Oh, sorry, Caitlin. This one's, t- yeah, I was going to say, this one's, this one's tough. Um, I mean, I don't know, I guess mine would be like, fuck Ava, Mary, Taylor, kill Caitlin. Yeah. Um, sorry, Caitlin. <laughs> you, you were one of my favorites when the show started. I don't know what happened. Um, uh, Carl asks, which A or professor would you guys most likely be? you had to be one i guess yeah or so like professor or one of the three a's i guess yeah yeah i think that's what she's saying uh, i don't know i would probably be let me I, say okay let me say who's who impressed me the most which i guess would be some kind of subtle like something about that responded to me so I would probably be a cc i don't think i, I would be cc i just feel like she got really extreme 
I don't know if I would go that far. I think I mean maybe some of it was Mona. a little bit was a little sloppy. Yeah. I mean Mona definitely they did a good job I think of in retrospect. Mona was definitely more juvenile. Mm-hmm. So like when Mona says, "Oh, it was just a harmless prank, went wild or whatever." It's like, uh, "Okay, I, I you you weren't like sending pe- human teeth in the form of necklace, though you might have killed Mrs. Potter's nephew." Um do you think the professor has was the plan on the person in the beginning? Good question. I wonder. I, I, I want to gut reaction. I want to say no, but then at the same time, when all the people who made this show got together, I have to assume at some point they were like, "We're going to do like an A figure down the line, right?" Oh, sure, sure, sure. It wouldn't shock me if it was no, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, which of the perf's fears is likely to be real or a prophecy that comes true? Uh, I guess I'm hoping all that time. Dylan goes home. <laughs> so they're all real, right? And they're their fears. Um, I mean, I don't think like Allison's going to get cut up into pieces. So that's <laughs> that's a bit macabre. Um, and then we got the question about will Mona die? Uh, you know what? Death is not necessarily like a final obstacle for Mona. She's done that before. <laughs> uh, would you rather that Taylor ended up with Mona romantically or Allison? Let me respond to that with one word. Thruple. I feel like it would probably, like Allison needs it a little more. Not like her character diegetically, but like meta on the meta level. I think it would work better for the Allison character to be in a relationship with Taylor than like Mona is fine on her own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I love that there's a whole, I mean, I don't know if I'm in this Vanderkiss contingent, but like that was a whole thing yeah. before a character was like corporally on this show. Um, Carla asks, would you, how would you handle being in someone's psychological torture experiment? I think I would just try to ruin the results so they'd stop doing the experiment, you know? Mm, mm. What you don't know, Carla, is this is why we do the podcast is because somebody had shit over us and they made us do it. Uh, last question, Carla. Can you believe that Mona and Claire have slept with the same fella? No. Just... No, I don't. Yeah, I'd say you knew our answer when you asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Kara Noble asks uh, going forward, what three characters and five concept storylines would you get rid of? Never to be spoken of again. Hmm. Well, I can think of three characters on the show who weren't as developed as Ellie and Mona. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh yeah, I don't know. Other than and yet they wouldn't be your first choices. You know what I mean? You'd pick you'd pick Mason first. Yeah. I I really feel like they need to throw out most of season one, you know, just like you have a professor thing now, go with it from there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she says bringing us back to the beginning and the whole Mona mirrors thing and her speaking to that woman who tells her to go to her safe place during speed dating Booker asks Mona, you know, what's your safe place? How and why do you think she knows about this? And why does she ask? What are your predict- predictions of this long con? I don't know. Cause I don't think we're going to see Booker again. Yeah, I think that's the only Easter egg yeah. thing, you know, is is like it's like I mean, it's clever that they threw that line in there. It makes it seem like there's a little bit more of a plan. I think that's I think part of being a skilled writer is making it seem like you planned a lot of this all along. Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then Carol says uh, if you could bring one OGPL character into season two, besides Mona and Allie, 
who would you choose and why? I think we've covered that more yeah. or less, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alyssa asks, my question is, if the PLL Perfectionist characters were Disneyland slash Disney World rides, what would they be? I have some answers to this. I don't know if you've prepared any. Uh, let me ask you this. Who is Mr. Toad's wild ride? Mona. Oh, okay. By, by all means, take it away. What have we got? So I had Allie as Tarzan's treehouse because Tarzan's treehouse used to be the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse, which is fucking awesome. And then the Tarzan's treehouse is like, wah, wah, like this reverend sucks, which I feel like is a metaphor for Allie's character. Mm. Uh, Ava, I went with the Haunted Mansion. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> Caitlin, I have Autopia. Okay. Because it's boring. Uh, and Dylan, the people mover. <laughs> Who would Zoe be? Who would Zoe be? Matterhorn. Um, no. No, uh, she wouldn't be the Matterhorn. Maybe the teacups. Oh, that's sweet. I would have been awesome if we got a question from Roxanne Stathos. She's just like, why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of these podcasts being obsessed with me. Uh, so uh, did you have any other answers to that or should we move on? No, I mean, that that works for me. Okay. Uh, Khadija asks, was Allie right about herself that she's too broken to be fixed? Uh, to be fixed? No. But that's, that's entirely up to Allie. She needs to learn how to kind of manage her... I don't think she's broken, I guess. Um, but she needs to learn how to live with herself. Let's put it that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then basically the question here is like, is Mona too broken to be fixed? No. No. Mona's a new kind of human being. Yeah. I mean, our understanding of what she could be is broken. And we hope to fix that. If the show continues, will Mona be the one to figure out the professor? Uh -huh. Um, I mean, it, it would make the most sense, but I could see them not wanting to go that direction just to make it more like a team effort or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Like maybe Dylan will get a dog in the last season who will sniff out who the professor is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Do we ever find out what, where Mona's safe place is? We did not. Uh, what is the situation with the pig man? Was that the professor? Maybe, or like a henchman. We don't know. Who killed Nolan? I'm still going with Ava. Yeah, right there. I'm just picturing the professor ordering his henchman to uh -huh. go take care of something. This is my henchman, Truffles. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So, Monica asks, what do you think happened to the Drakes in Paris? Wow, it was wild. That's, that's for certain. Um, seemingly they escaped yeah i you know here's the thing it's like i could envision like a whole hour-long flashback episode to answer this question or i could see this being done in a really tight really breakneck pace like five minute sequence um i feel like mary drake is someone we don't talk about enough who could i could see showing up in some fashion on this show i don't know why but I yeah, I don't like know. I feel comics. like maybe like the CIA got to them or something or something or like some other agency has them, but not one that's on the books. Well, it, 
at a certain point, don't you have to have that kind of thing where it's like, by the way, guys, this is why I, Mona, am not sweating it. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, otherwise, I feel like, wouldn't Alex, if not go after Mona, go after the liars? And like, wouldn't Mona be like sleeping in her car outside their houses to protect them? It's like, there has to be something where like Mona's not too concerned. But then mm-hmm. again, we didn't know what was going on in the, the end of the pilot for a long time. Yeah. Um, Mona asks, if you were spinning off these those two characters into a new show, how would you have gotten the Drakes and Emily and the kids out of the picture? Uh, I assume you're talking about Allison and Mona then. Yeah, I think how, the, how would we have set up this show, basically? The Drakes are easier because you could just say, like, I don't know, like Interpol found them and, like, Mona just, like, skipped out of Paris or something like that. You know, like, there, it's, like, I drowned it's them. not as hard to get rid of the Drakes. Emily and the kids, there's really no good way to do that. Other than they're always off screen, mm. or they broke up, you know, like I, or, you don't want to, you're not going to kill them. So, or I mean, something, some kind of like, like genuine, like long distance relationship. Like, Mona, yeah. or Allison has an actual really good job, and and Emily has an actual really good job, and so it's, it's like, like every the, episode's ends like Doogie Howser style with like Allie writing a, a new email to Emily, like talking about the lesson she's learned. Oh fuck, the Doogie Howser theme is in my head now. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, but so the question is really, how do you write out Emily and the kids and the Emerson fans? Yeah. Um, what would happen on a Mayor Toby show? Well, what wouldn't <laughs> happen on the Mayor Toby show? Everything, I tell you, everything. Um, Toby just trying to hold this crazy little town together. Toby just giving a lot of bad speeches. Yeah. 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 I mean, I. It would be like a fucking like David, like an old school like David E. Kelly show. I feel like, okay. um, like somehow like eventually like picket fences always ended in a courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, shit! The city's <laughs> getting sued again. Of all these like stupid like asinine fucking moral questions that could only be answered by a TV producer on a fucking show, yeah. where it's just like, how this- do we ascertain when it's okay to marry your dog? <laughs> This child who has cancer wants to sue God. I'll allow it. <laughs> oh God! It's an if actual like, David E. Kelly plot. If if Keegan Allen was just doing like Atticus Finch monologues, mm-hmm. oh fuck. Um, Monica asks, "Is Taylor good or evil?" Yes, Both. yes. Um, who is the character least deserving of being on a PLL spinoff from either show, and then pitch a show featuring them, please? <laughs> I think you I know can, what I'm gonna say. Lucas. Okay, who do you got? I, Mason, obviously. So the, nah. his spinoff show is just called Fuck Boys. And it's like him in a new college being a fuckboy. <laughs> is it like is it like entourage but at college? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then like <laughs> it's just clear how shitty they are. Yeah. Marky Mark like cameos in the first one. What's up, bro? I'm your new professor. <laughs> and buy it. <laughs> I try to remember what's the uh the fucking when Jeff Winger like becomes like a fuck boy in one episode of uh, of community. It's just like remember, women are objects. Uh, Malum could never call them. Ball- oh, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, that whole thing. <laughs> Which we're not promoting by any means. Also, yeah. happy Pride Month, everyone. Um, but Lucas, it's fucking easy. Lucas becomes the fucking weasel at the computer in some kind of forensic cop show. Like he's the guy who's always running somebody's records on like a fucking NCIS mm. Pittsburgh or whatever. Um, 
Okay. I'm sure everyone asks which PLO character you would like to see show up on a perf show. Yep. But if it was someone capable of being reverse engineered, which Perf's character would make sense to show up on PLL? That's a wild question. I like that. Um, I mean, there's ways you could get Caitlin on, obviously, you know, like yeah, yeah. internship with Veronica, that kind of thing. Ava would be interesting. Uh, it's like a colleague of Hannah's or something. Yeah. Or, or Hannah's new intern. Yeah. Yeah, Ava just shows up. Like if PLL was just a fucking crazy soap opera, like Ava just shows up and stirs shit up for a couple mm-hmm. weeks. She brings some kind of uh, you know outrageous fashion thing to Rosewood, and Mayor Toby's just like, oh shit, we're back in court this week. <laughs> so uh, Andrew F. asks, uh, season two opens with the reveal that one of the perfectionists has dropped out, moved away off screen scenes between seasons. Who's got to go? Dylan. Yeah, we've answered uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Are there any characters from the original Perfectionist books you would like to see reskinned for the television show? I think Mac. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if they're not going to do the Julie Parker stuff, like Mac was probably the best character from the books, and yeah, it's like the only thing Dylan has in common with Mac is that he plays the cello. Like, yeah, no, they didn't really take any of her storylines. Um, like, like Dylan. We could go to fucking cello class or whatever, and he just like nods at the girl next to him like what's up mac and it's just like the next episode dylan's gone and she's yeah. just like what's up boom yeah <laughs> are there any subplots from the original perfectionist books you would like to see grafted onto these characters in some fashion maybe caitlin starts dating jeremy's identical brother josh beckett um yeah i mean i think we talked a lot about this just mac and her deal i guess if there was a brother thing that they'd established that could be interesting um or if Nolan had a twin. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about characters from PLL possibly popping up with perfectionists. Are there any characters you would absolutely do not want to show up under any circumstances, Lucas? Uh, like what if Ava finds herself embroiled in a love triangle with Zach and a filthy homeless grifter named Egg? I actually wouldn't hate it if they brought Egg back. It would be kind of funny to me. Also, I know this is a, this is a funsies like hypothetical, but come on, Andrew. No one's bringing Egg back. I would, no. It would be fucking hilarious that they're like, like hyping it up as like PLO character, PLO character coming to perfectionist, and it was Johnny Egg. <laughs> and he's like, I can feel the pulse of this college. <laughs> I feel like that's when the social media people quit. <laughs> they're yeah. Like we don't know how to get hype for this. Uh, what if Caitlin finds herself butting heads with fellow political intern Talia? Would she be a political intern? She's I don't know. They I her and her husband like, just seem sleazy. Yeah, she was like going to be a chef. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what if Dylan starts buying cocaine from a young upstart named Sean Ackard? I feel like Sean doesn't sell the cocaine. He buys it himself. I feel it's more likely that Dylan would start dating Sean at this point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, is there someone who wrote directed, or directed for the original show who hasn't yet for The Perfectionist who you'd like to see take a crack at it? Um if I were Brian Holdman and I were the new showrunner, I'd be picking up my phone and calling Mike Goldsmith. I don't know if she'd answer because I think she has another show that she's doing, but I think she, I really liked a lot of her stuff on PLL. So, yeah. Um, I don't remember the director's name who did uh, the the door scene with Spaleb and Hannah. Um, from my Goldsmith episode, yeah. From Michael Swift episode, yeah. Um, I want to say the guy's name is Michael something. Michael Fiji something. I, I can't remember. I really like that 
that look. Um, I'd like to see Larry Reeman like direct oh, again. Yeah. Um, I, I would be shocked. Yeah, Troyan, of course, of course. And and like crazy one, bring in Troyan to write and direct an episode. Yeah, I don't know if they'd let her do that, but I love it. Yeah. Um that would be fucking awesome. Like fucking whenever like the company could like write and direct a random episode of the X-Files. And it was just like, whatever, David, do whatever the fuck you want. Um, also, I would be shocked if like season two comes along, we don't get a Ron Lagomarsino episode. Yeah. But um, I like that they bring in new directors and I like that the show is one of like the few that the DGA can proudly they say like has a, a certain percentage of female directors. That's cool. Yeah. Michael Goy was a director. So no four, by the way. Michael Goy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Corey asks, if you had to lose one element of the show, what would it be? But your choices are Nolan Hotchkiss, the thing at the end of the pilot with the room with the wall of TV screens and Mona's safe place or Zoe. Well, I think, I think Harry. we know that Zoe's not going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, Zoe, six seasons in a movie for Zoe. It would make the most sense to get rid of the the Mona thing, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Nolan thing is kind of like the whole show. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was the best A between Mona and Cece and Twinser? Well, you mentioned that you thought Cece would <laughs> a little broad. I mean, Cece was cruel. impressive. Like, I guess it's like defined best. You know, I think I enjoyed Mona as A. I, I mean, I don't know. It's tough though, because Cece did have like the bell thing, which is like my favorite A gag. Uh, I don't think Twinter. I love Twinter, but uh, I don't think she'd be the best. So I guess it kind of depends on how you like your A more high school or more kind of extreme between Mona like, and Cece. There, I have to honestly wonder. Like, did Alex concoct and design and execute and oversee the project development of like the board game? Or was that like something left over from like CeCe's notes? Yeah. So, I don't know. Um, loved your perfectionist books pod. So what thing from the books would you bring to the show besides Julie Parker? Uh, I think we can address that. Yeah. When will Headcanon be back? Like July-ish? Yeah, let's let's say we'll have a 4th of July episode. There you go. Um, what movies can be expected from that podcast? Well, we talked about Roadhouse. I think we might want to do like a few like summer blockbusters. I think we did that last summer. So yeah. some 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 big blockbustery type episodes at least at first. Eventually, I think we want to be able to do. I think Mean Girls and Clueless were the two we did not do. Sure. From that poll, so we'll try to do one of those eventually. Uh, what's a common thing you think about when you're alone? Um, I'm always worried about ghosts. Really? Yeah. No. Maybe. I don't know. You? Um, I don't know. I, I look at my floor and I think I really need to sweep and clean mm. and then I'm like I'd rather move and then I just kind of have an existential crisis of where I want to live you do think that way a lot mm-hmm. like you like oh something's wrong with my TV I need to buy a new TV I need to move uh-huh. uh, yeah so Corey asks what's something you're amazing at that not many people know about hmm. James Taylor uh, I'm really good at Mario Kart I'm like ridiculously good at old school 16-bit Mario Kart I thought everyone knew that they might have, yeah. I might have bragged about it already. Okay, cool, cool. Um, what about you? Oh, dancing. Really? Mm, yeah. The midichlorians and the speed force combined, and I'm a, I'm a creature of movement, so obviously. Mm. Uh, Are you, you like, to... going to, like, dance class, like uh, Ezra Fitz at one time? 
<laughs> Remember that whole plot line? Yes. <laughs> was that the one with the? No, that wasn't with the money. That was that was in the season seven, right? Yeah, that's that, Janelle Perrichetter. Like, you ain't nothing but a hound dog dance sequence. That's that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, Fear the trade places one of the characters in the perfectionist, but you were you. How would you change the story? I guess just by being you in the situation. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'd be raised on Jordan and, and then just die. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's like you're Ray Horgadorn and you're just like, I'm not getting involved with this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you insane? I mean, I know we've joked before, like how fun it would be just to be characters who like go to the brew and just like regulars and like looking around and being like, I wonder what's their story. Aren't those the girls that were on the front page of the fucking newspaper? Cause somebody died. <laughs> anyway. Cool. All right. Well, I think that wraps up all our PLL questions. Let me take a quick look, make sure we didn't get any more emails or anything here. Doesn't look like it. So yeah, it looks like that. That's it for the perfectionist season one. Uh, I don't know if, will we do some sort of emergency pod if it gets canceled? Will that warrant a podcast? I probably, <laughs> maybe something just a five minute yeah. long episode or something. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, Theoretically, if uh, fingers crossed all goes well, we'll know within the next month or so that there's going to be a season two. And if there is, I don't think we need to like rush out and do one unless they like, I don't know, come out with some new synopsis for what season two is going to be about or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah, we you may not hear from us again until season two gets closer to becoming a reality. We'll see. There's no more I... books, unfortunately. Maybe we'll just do read like the amateurs or something. I don't know. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Just Sarah Shepard Book Club. Yeah. Yeah, we do the Eliza's. That was a great book. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, it's always possible we might have an interview here or there. So maybe you'll hear from us then. I don't know that we could commit to like doing the PLL books. That's a lot of books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be years. Yeah. Even if we did the same way we did the perfectionist books, that would be years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, now we're going to start talking a little bit. Uh, about My Name is Trouble. That's a book that we wrote. Um, people have sent in some questions to ask about that. We're going to do all the non-spoiler questions first. So feel free to listen in if you've not read the book yet. Maybe you'll hear something that entices you to go check it out. Um, like I want to say just again, thank you to everyone who's uh, bought the book so far. It seems like people are really enjoying it. We've got 12 reviews between Goodreads and Amazon so far, all five stars. And for Trouble to really be a success beyond our little podcast in this year, that's really going to come down to you guys. You know, if you like the book, we really highly appreciate you guys leaving a review or just, you know, if you know a friend who you think would be into it, recommend it to them, let them borrow the book, something like that. Uh, you know, word of mouth is really going to be what uh, takes Trouble to the, the next stage. So, uh, yeah, really appreciate you guys doing that. And now we're going to talk about My Name is Trouble. So I'll go ahead and go first here. This is from Hitting Refresh. How do you guys feel now that my name is Troubles Out? I feel great. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Relieved. I mean, there is like, there's a little bit of, because uh, like a, a lot of like Twitter responses will be like, that was awesome. Like, can't wait for the next one. Or when's the next one? And there's a little bit of like a slight panic of like, oh shit, that's these again, you know? Um 
but in a good way. Yeah. The next the next ones will be easier for reasons. I, I mean, I hope so. I also have a little bit of that imposter syndrome where it's I like, I don't know how I did this. Like somehow it just happened and now I have to do it again. You know? Mm. Um, but then uh, hitting refresh also asks, who's your favorite character besides Jenny? Well, one of those characters is a spoiler. Um, other than that, well, not my favorite, but uh, up there, Webb. Oh, Mr. Webb. Okay. The Stranger. I'll put it that way. Um, I have a lot of fun writing both Jack and Dinah. Um, maybe Jack more. I just... I don't know. He's kind of absurd, but like Jack is like, if I just imagine myself as like, like a rich fancy boy who's like really full of himself, like he's just fun to write, you know? Mm, lots of shoes. Yeah. Uh, your turn. Uh, Ashley asks, will there be an audio book from My Name is Trouble? Um, if the book does very well, yeah, we'll look into that. Really well. Because I, I think a, a lot of people have asked if like we will do them. No. I, I think it would be better to have a woman do the voice just because it is, you know, from a female character's perspective. Um, mm. Neither of us are like to do like an actual like audio book, like where you're not just doing goofy voices for the characters, you know, like I don't that's a little out of our uh, skill range, I think. And there would be a lot of work to do, too. So, well, some behind the scenes. Multiple times we read this book aloud we to each other back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one thing to see printed pages, but it, it kind of helps, I think, to a certain degree to take you out of things and re-examine it in a fresh way to actually hear it spoken. Um, and, you know, we can read, <laughs> we can we can enunciate and stuff, but after a while, like that, that becomes... It'd be a lot. Of, it'd be a lot of editing. It'd be a lot of yeah. editing. If we were to do this. It'd be a lot of work. Uh, Meg Merman asks book tour question mark. See above answer. <laughs> yeah, I just I my skill set doesn't include knowing how to do a book tour. I guess let's put it that way. If somebody wants us to come show up somewhere, and it's within our power, we'll see about it. If it's like in L.A. or Sacramento, but yeah, other than that, I don't know. I'll put this way. If you can concoct the money <laughs> for a plane ticket and a hotel, sure. Yeah, I think that's usually not the way book tours work. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, so Steph asks, is one of the goals with Trouble to turn it into a TV series? <laughs> I think it will always be. Well, I think a goal. It would that's when I was born. It would be more accurate to say that uh, Trouble was turned from a TV series into a book. Uh, it started out as a TV pilot and um, story bible for a season of television, mm-hmm. and then which did anyone ask about that? I guess no one really knows to ask about that because that would be interesting to go into. You know, Maybe. well, I mean, it will be after several books down the line. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, it started out as a TV show and became a book uh at from the advice of norman buckley and just kind of knowing how the industry works of like you know it's more likely to become a tv show if it already exists as intellectual property you know so yeah go write a book but i mean a lot of it was was thought of like visually you know and in a in a that kind of storytelling and that's that's part of the trouble sometimes is what can you do 
with a book and, and, you know, yeah. like it's much more internal and things have to be sometimes more literal, but yeah, trouble started as initially a scene, then a pilot. Then we came up with an idea for 13 episodes of TV. And then we came up with roughly three seasons worth of TV. And, you know, and in some ways it makes sense as a book, but it would be a very cool show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's my turn. Olivia Smith asks, uh, I cannot stop reading Trouble in James Taylor's voice uh, or JT, JT doing an impression of Jenny. What did, what did she sound like to you as you were creating? Um, hmm. Trying to think if I was really thinking of anyone else's voice while writing. I'm not sure if I was. Um, maybe there there are certain lines that kind of felt Veronica Marsish to me, so I was probably thinking of Kristen Bell a little bit. Mm. But otherwise, I don't know if I was really thinking of like a particular voice, like a like a, a woman talking at all while writing. Mm. Except for for Jack. Who's you as a fancy boy? I, I didn't think of him as my voice necessarily, though. No. Yeah. Um, Anastasia asks a uh, trouble casting question. Question: Would you rather have who would you rather have play Lockhart, Sheriff Lamb from Veronica Mars, Riley Finn from Buffy, or Detective Wilden? I feel like. Um, Mark, what's his name? Riley Finn would probably make the most sense out of these three. See, in my head, I always had uh, Justin Theroux as Lockhart, like Justin Theroux from The Leftovers. Mm. So of these three, I would probably say maybe Wilden like dye his hair darker and like maybe give him some uh, great temples or something. I think my first thought, which has evolved since then, my first thought when envisioning Lamb or uh, Lamb uh, Blockheart was uh, I think what's this guy's name Bart Bass on Gossip Girl or the whatever the fuck he plays on like a person of interest, but that dude looks like Bart psychopath. Bass. Yeah, um, he's the main cop guy from HR in, in Person of Interest with like these intense, crazy cheekbones, like this like psycho gaze. That guy's kind um, of old though, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, okay. he's kind of old, but like he's he's in really good shape. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Well, I, mean, I can't say about Lockhart in the original writing. I think it probably wasn't until getting into the book. I don't think it was like this in the TV pilot. In the TV pilot, he's just a cop. In the book, I was like, what if he's actually like really hot? Hot sheriff. Yeah. Hashtag hot sheriff. Uh, Leslie A. asked, uh, can someone create some trouble merch? Because she'd buy it. Um, Maybe. I don't know. I suppose that could be something we could do T-shirts for. We have a website and whatnot. Uh, we'll think about it. Yeah. Um, or, or you know, like a, like a book that you could like carry around and read. That'd be pretty cool yeah, too. Yeah, there's that, yeah. Um, see, James asks, I would like to hear about the cooperative writing process and how that worked. And what were some of your inspirations behind, besides PLL? Hmm. Um, well, I can say that uh, the writing process between the, the TV show and the book was a lot different. Um, I think several years ago when we were young men, our writing styles were much more similar. And so we could work on something like, you know, back and forth and you couldn't really tell who was doing the writing. Um, One of the reasons that I did 
the writing for this is because our styles just they're too different it would it would be obvious that one or the other was writing um and it would just like we tried it and it just it was it, it clashed too much um so that was as far as the book goes for the scripts it was i mean we would block out everything pretty much right you know like we'd be like this is the scene this is what happens in the scene this is the dialogue and then just go right down for the book it was more like these are all the beats and this is what happens but then ultimately i would go and write it i think would you say that'd be pretty fair to describe it sure uh inspiration besides pll um hmm inspirations i mean i suppose there are probably a lot of influences as far as inspirations go um veronica mars i think obviously Hmm. what do you think yeah i mean that's the closest yeah it's the closest you could say i don't i don't and other i'm sure there's other ya books that are you know a, a young girl is essentially doing a detective story. Um, I mean, think like weird things like you've read lots of Hardy Gone, Boys, right? Yeah, uh, Nancy Drew, like Gone Girl, to a certain degree. I mean, because there's there's certain things that had to be done with Trouble, uh-huh. like certain secrets had to be kept, what have you. Um, so it was kind of it was more how can you thread a certain needle mm-hmm. <laughs> without giving away the whole knitting, I guess. Uh, Corey asks if any PLL actor could do the audiobook for Trouble, who would it be? Hmm. Janelle Parrish. Yeah, Janelle Parrish. Um, I mean, any any chance to work with Troy? I'd always go for that for sure. Yeah, yeah. At least he'd be interesting. I feel weird about because Trouble. I mean, I don't, people who don't read or haven't read it yet, it, it's a character who's not straight, not white like I, I i don't know i i would like somebody who kind of represented her in some fashion mm-hmm. um you know tackling that like i wouldn't cast lucy hale in a in a tv show version of trouble no definitely not wrong but i, I it'd be a narrator reading the book though so it wouldn't be quite the same i guess you know yeah, yeah. but so Parrish the, would be the, the first choice yeah, Janelle Parrish, and then outside of PLL, obviously George Takai would be the <laughs> right choice for the audiobook. Oh, oh my. Uh, what would the I'm Arlen King version of Trouble be like? It'd be. Uh, somebody asked us at the meetup hey, if, if I'm Arlen King came to you and said, I want to make Trouble into a TV show, what would you say? And we said, <laughs> say sold. yes. Sold. Yeah. Cool. You got it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's always hard to know what is Marlene versus what are like network mandates that she's just kind of like, you know, raising the flag for, I guess. So, you know, we've never interviewed her, so we don't know exactly. I guess, I don't know. She's all seems like the most unknowable of the writers because yeah. she has to be the cheerleader for the show. Yeah. You know, like the other writers can kind of be a little more like, well, this was my thing. She has to get you hyped up and she has to be unflappable in the face of your fucking abuse. Um, I would kill to like take I Marlene King out to a drink and just be like, there's no, yeah, there's, there's, there's no tape recorders here. None of this leaves this room. I I would love to fucking know what you think. is. I mean, like 
she also has a, a an audience that is cultivated to a certain degree. Uh, someone explained to us the other day that this was not a show for us. It's great that we enjoy it, but this was never a show for us. And in, in that's other not, words, PL, yeah, yeah, that, that's not inaccurate at all. So, um, you know, she, for the you got to think all of our complaints about shipping and all that stuff. Like ninety percent of this audience loves it. Look at Twitter; they I fucking. Mean, if one would assume though that the I'm Merlin King version of Trouble would be like the perfectionist in PLL, I think obviously you'd you'd have more of a focus on romance, probably. Um, yeah, and our and our take on romance is slightly mm-hmm. different than hers. Yeah, uh, and then Corey also asked, "Didn't you say on the podcast that it started as a TV show? So what was that like?" Um, it did. Yeah, what was that like? It was lots of fun to mm-hmm. block stuff out and kind of come up with a season. Do you remember the uh, the first scene? Originally, originally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where she's in like upside down in like a crash car. It was it was a, a thing that you could, I guess, only do in the budget for a pilot because <laughs> yeah. unless it's a very highly budgeted show, you can do this. But it was basically this like kind of artsy slow pan of like the destruction of a runaway car through this neighborhood or, or what have you until you get to the upside down car and you get to like Jenny – you know, wheels still spinning, things smoking, something on fire. He just kind of gets out and like looks at the camera and says, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it was nuts. That yeah, was, and like, then, like, and our then your producer's point. like, yeah, we can't afford that. Yeah, then that, that changed. But that was like in our first, you know, driving to L.A. Because a, a lot of stuff we came up with, we came up on like an eight-hour drive to L.A. And it was... Some of the stuff was just us creating the show and some of it was like asking questions about like PLL, for example, and, and things we would do in the face of that. Um, and then there's a whole version. I, I think I told a story at the meetup. Someone asked or someone was asking a, something and I had mentioned that, you know, we did a whole iteration where uh, it's, it's set in high school where it's not set in high school. It's it's set later. Um, is it cool if I tell that version? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. I'll keep that to ourselves. Um, it's, it's much more hardcore. Um yeah. So your turn. Uh Andrew asks, where did the name Jenny Valentine come from? Came from us? Came up on the that that initial yeah, car. Yeah, we, we had that a long time ago. I mean, I, I think we both thought Valentine would be like kind of a cool like Norish name. We um, like the name Jenny. Yeah. And the Jenny, we just wanted something very simple, you know. Yeah, I think it was between Jenny and maybe Molly or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. Um uh, next question is, is Jenny Valentine the Ezria baby? Uh, no, and you're blocked, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Andrew. Uh, Messina Lee asks, is the title of the book a nod to PLL S2E3 with the same episode name? I'm not sure mm-hmm. if a nod would be, it wasn't like, it's not intended to be like a reference or like an Easter egg or anything. Mm-hmm. I think we just kind of came up with, a girl named Trouble, and so the book is called My Name is Trouble, and we're well aware that that's an episode of PLL, but... And not consciously at the yeah. time, even though, obviously, we had recorded a podcast about the show with that episode title. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Khadijah again asks, I love that the book is set in Napa Valley. I grew up next door in Sonoma County, and the descriptions of the vineyards and bread and cheese and small-town life reminds me of home, which you consider doing a meetup in wine country for a future book release. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you that uh, Sonoma, the city of Sonoma, is kind of like the real Blackbird Springs, basically. That's what Blackbird Springs is based on. Yeah. 
we had a fun uh, walk up and down a couple of streets and uh, just like, hey, what do you think that house costs? <laughs> and then like pulling out the Zillow app and being like, it's like two million. Yeah. <laughs> just a regular old house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you're like you're like one block away from like the big, you know, main main square and everything. Yeah. Um, an old Carnegie library is repurposed. Uh, what songs were in your writing playlist while working on Trouble? Uh, I know when we were brainstorming, there's a fair amount of churches involved, right? Yeah. I mean, the idea was that if there was ever to be a show, there's a certain church's song that we really liked as a theme song. Which was, I'm trying to think of it. Never Ending Circle. Never Ending Circle. Yeah, that's right. Um, While writing, there was a lot of the first half of Taylor Swift's album, Red. Uh, I just wanted to kind of put myself in a kind of like a peppy kind of teen mood. Uh, so I was listening to a lot of that. Also listened to a fair amount of the latest uh, metric and churches albums, uh, the ones that came out this past year. Um, and then during the rewrites, I think I was probably listening to more red and then some of the uh, Jenny Lewis album that just came out. Uh, how many trouble books do you have planned and how often will they come out? Uh, three to five ish or more or less. And how often they come out every 13 months on the solstice. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, the, the, when they're done. Yeah. So it's, I mean, like, you know, there's a big chunk of this that's been like thought up and then you're pulling off parts of it and seeing how that works for a book too. And yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I would say honestly, realistically you're looking at, sorry folks, like a year. Yeah, maybe less. I mean, we'll have to see how the writing goes. I mean, I I can say that the first year, like we started writing in February of 2017, I believe. And for like the first year, I wrote maybe a fourth of the book. And I think we ended up throwing out a lot of those chapters anyway. So like not a whole lot happened for a year. And then like I finished it like within four months after that. So I think we definitely... It took me a while to develop a, a writing process that really worked and kind of focus on it, but we'll see. You know, no promises, but we'll see how fast we can bang them out now that yeah. uh, we got the first one out of the way. And I, this book was, for reasons that we'll touch on in the spoiler section, it was hard to write and, and fit in certain things and make them work, but I don't think it'll be as hard the next one. And certain things are, are in the book because of the future of trouble. Mm-hmm. And there was that kind of back and forth. It's like, what well, times it's like, those things don't make sense here. <laughs> it's yeah. like, but, ooh, you know, so. Uh, and then our last spoiler-free question, Megan asks, I was hoping you could discuss the process you went through for publishing trouble. I work for an educational publishing company here in Boston, and I'm curious to hear about the differences. Were there any major obstacles you encountered? Well, it's self-published, so we kind of bypassed a whole lot of that. Um, yeah. It got to the point with pursuing agents where I felt like this is something that could happen, but it could take a year to get an agent and then it could take possibly several more years to get this published. Mm-hmm. And it's possible that the publisher wouldn't like certain like things that we did in it and want to change them. And it was like, I kind of want people to be able to read this sometime before I'm like 45, you know? So it's like, I don't know. It, got to a place where we're very happy with what we've done and we just want to put it out there. 
also, Megan, at a certain point, you're like, you know what? I just want to be the next E.L. James. All right. Yeah. And, you know, like I, I could I a little bit of a control freak. So like being able to have the cover the way I wanted, you know, like make it kind of Nancy Drew style. Like I could easily see a publisher just being like, no, you know, like we're we're going to make it look like every other YA book out there. So it's doing it all on our own lets us do what we want. Yeah. I mean, it it. It shuts certain doors for you, but maybe you'll open them later. Mm-hmm. So, spoilers. Yeah, so we're going to talk about some spoilers from the book now. So seriously, if you've not read the book and you're at all interested in reading it, uh, I would suggest you stop listening now. I think I'll even put in a little spoiler horn or something like that uh, when you listen to this. Because, uh, yeah, I, I think you could certainly still enjoy the book if you know what happens and the, the big twists and whatnot. But mm-hmm. I think it's kind of better if you don't. So spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Stop listening. With that warning, let's talk about how Jenny dies in Chapter 17. Mm-hmm. She's a ghost from now on. Uh, so question from Laura. Also, Laura, it was lovely to meet you and uh, your husband at the meetup. Thank you for coming. Um, she asks... Are we going to see the heirlooms pop up again in future books? My assumption is the book will focus on the wine bottle. Perhaps next will focus on the picture and its mystery, the next on the noose, et cetera, et cetera. Am I hot or cold? You're hot. Very hot. Um, I think I can say at least this with confidence. The tarot card will be featured in the next book for sure. And then uh, perhaps some other stuff as well. But yeah, it's not going to be like one clue, one book thing. We're like, we don't have like seven books planned for it, yeah. uh, at least not yet. Um, but yeah, that will be kind of the idea is that uh, the wine bottle, there was a mystery around it, but it was not the mystery uh, of, of who killed RJ Valentine. So Jenny, she Jenny will have to, you know, on her own, even though, you know, other people think that the mystery's been solved. She knows that it hasn't, so she'll yeah. be trying to solve those other mysteries using the clues. Besides the obvious next bits of the mystery, I'm most interested to find out more about Alicia Aaron. What the fuck is her deal? Uh, <laughs> Alicia's fun. Her secret Wait is for it. one that I really wonder how people will <laughs> react to. That's something that I don't know we could have done on a TV show. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, we, I guess we've got a lot of fun stuff planned for Alicia Aaron. I can see the network being like, what the fuck? No, no way. <laughs> that doesn't happen on TV, sir. <laughs> I hope that's cryptic enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Alicia, I think uh, Laura mentioned in her email that um, Alicia had a Jonathan vibe, which was honestly not intentional, and I didn't notice it until the last rewrite I was doing. I was like, like, there's like a scene where, like, quote unquote, Jenny is uh, kind of like harassing her at school, and I was like, man, it's kind of fucked up that she's like doing this to somebody with like a prosthetic leg, and I was like, oh, it's kind of a Jenna thing, and it, that wasn't the original ten. It wasn't like we need a Jenna thing. I think it just, you know, kind of came off that way in a couple scenes. Um, I would say it's subconscious because there's definitely a planned Hannah Jenna encounter. That's still kind of cryptic, I hope. Sure. Uh, Messina Lee, I actually don't know what you're asking. You're talking about, so sure, it's very cryptic. <laughs> oh, it's it's the, it's the part of... It's the reveal of her secret, I guess. Okay. Uh, Messina well, Lee. We'll talk. You, you and I could talk about trouble later. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. 
who sent yeah. Jenny the photos of Valerie at the gala near the beginning? These ended up being key piece of evidence to frame her in the end. I'm curious who would have been there taking them, and if so, what was it for this purpose? So, you just finally this, say this, yeah. Podcast. Big spoilers that danger, uh, it's just Colt D. Colin, she just has her first name and her contacts, but it's that was danger who did that, uh, and that these were. They they ended up helping with the frame job, but that wasn't the original ten. It was more like, hey, check out this stuff I just found because I've been doing some research. Um, these photos were just taking taken from social media, so like other people who attended the gala were taking those photos. Yeah. Um, and then, did the true killer take them and send them, knowing it would lead Jenny down the wrong path? We're investigating. No. So those were presumably danger and jenny meet at the grave site of uh, rj valentine after everyone else sees and they make some plans about what they're going to do and then danger goes back to her hideout and gets on the internet and starts researching the gala and finds those photos and texts her texts them to jenny so that yeah. that's kind of what was going on there uh all right andrew asks are there any characters that were originally included in the book but were cut during the process of editing rewriting who were they and why did they have to Go. So sorry uh, for having this question here, Andrew, because I know you haven't read the book yet. I, maybe you'll have to just wait to listen to this part. Um, characters who were originally included. I know there were scenes that I had to cut. I'm trying to think. Can you think of any characters we had to flat out cut? Well, yes and no. Uh, without any kind of spoilers, because this is not fully explored yet. Mm-hmm. But what is in the cabin? Sure, sure. Um, Different variations of that have existed in our minds. Originally, there was a nice chapter where I think I I can say this, I think, because it it will be different in anything future we do. There's a nice chapter where Jenny goes to have dinner with uh, Penny's mom, Yvonne, uh, who, of course, is one of the the heirs. Um, And, you know, it's like family dinner with Penny and her mom and Drew there. And it was a nice chapter. And there was some good character development, but it ultimately didn't need to be there. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I miss that's the one I missed the most of the cuts we made. But it was yeah. just like it was superfluous. It was like here's just a nice scene where you get some backstory and some character beats. We f- learn more about Yvonne, but I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to find a way to uh, introduce her more in the future. Yeah, because Yvonne has some interesting stuff up her sleeve. Um, Next question from Andrew. You received a lot of valuable advice and feedback while writing this book. However, what I want to know is what is the weirdest feedback you received regarding trouble? Hmm. Can Hmm. you think of any? Um, The weirdest I would think is, I believe somebody said to us, I don't remember exactly how it was worded. You don't want to call them panties. What you're describing are boy shorts. <laughs> I believe they're still described as boy shorts. In the, in the yeah. Shorts. It's like very nicely put as I'm going to help you out with understanding how to address women's underwear. <laughs> um, I know that the editor that I hired to look over the manuscript did not see any of the danger stuff coming in like, hated it so i don't know if that's necessarily weird feedback but that was feedback we got for sure i mean one thing and we we had you know great great rows about it was people were like oh you obviously really like danger that should be chapter two and this was a whole the whole nature of setting up 
a mystery property. Oh, so I can finally say on the podcast, this is why I always <laughs> yes. didn't want it to be Twincer. Yes, if you'll recall back in the final half season of PLL, Marco was always adamantly against the Twincer theory, but he wouldn't say why. This was why. Uh, which I I don't think it's really, it's so dissimilar other yeah. than the, the fact that there's a twin, like we're obviously doing it much differently. So I was never that concerned by it, but yeah. But I, and I, for the record, we had this idea back in like 2015. So it wasn't like we saw a twin sir and we're like, let's do that. Yeah. There's two, obviously there's two big twists or reveals or what have you. And one of them is danger. Well, there probably is more, but like at, at the, the initial Genesis, you know, and that one, I want to say it came out of that initial car ride. It was, we were talking about, I think so. Yeah. We were talking about Aria and for a good hour of driving, we were like straight up. What if she's dissociative? Like, what if that's mm-hmm. Jenny's thing? And then it kind of became like, oh, shit, like, what if she has a twin? And we started building this incredibly interesting story around that, how much fun you could have with that, with that, that, you know, you think this character is acting strange and people can't trust her. You don't realize that you're just playing into her game. And this is the reveal. Um, This is before Mary Drake, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's before all that. Uh, Because, again, this was we were going down to watch them film an episode from like season six, episode three. So it was before we knew about Mary Drake. But um yeah, I've always I'm a big fan of the good twist and the, the the letting you feel it and building it and putting you inside that trap before it sprung and stuff like that. That's why we were so interested about like the reveal of Twincer and like, you know, is it right? You know, and we we're very intrigued when we talked to Joseph Doherty about his whole like tip of the cap and all that stuff. Um I don't remember what was the question. Yeah, there's it a lot of stuff people are like just like what if, you know what if danger showed up in, in chapter two or episode two or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's like, we, we are excited about that, but I'm really excited about the setup of that. That's, that's kind of proves if your, your twist is any good, if it's going to be worthwhile. So. Uh, I hope that is my turn or your turn here. Things are your Yeah. No, I just did Andrew. You did? Okay. Uh, Leslie A asks, was there any part of the story that didn't make the book that you wished it could have? Yvonne. Uh, so yeah more with Yvonne ultimately I think we just had to decide that um, some of that stuff so just kind of have to wait for the next book you know to not yeah. have too much that was like why is this here because it doesn't seem to be, need to be you know yeah, um, yeah. how many books in the series do you plan to write let's say three to five yeah and I'd like to hear any inside info about the book um, I feel like we've provided a fair amount of inside info I mean, I can yeah. tell you that the the script process back for the TV pilot it was like April 2015 was like the initial genesis of most of it. But I think I can't remember exactly what I have to go back to look at my notes. But like we I we were probably like 80 percent there, mm-hmm. but it was like something's missing. I feel like maybe we didn't have like the stuff with rj really fleshed out or figured out like there was no like emotional stakes it was just like oh my god this girl's like she's so clever you know like we didn't really have a grounding for her character yet (laughs) and yeah and that was something we definitely talked about in that initial car ride was the relationships i think um well my my point is that like we were got 80 percent of the way there in april 2015 and then like a year later 
we're like suddenly started talking about it again and we're like oh here it is like this is this is what we were missing you know yeah i would say though that that pilot script i'm very proud of it it especially whenever you watch a pilot for a new show now and you're like oof how is this so hard presumably especially with a pilot you had no no deadline you know you yeah. wrote this pilot script and you pitched it like why why is this so clunky um but like, I know, like, one of the things we talked about initially was like a, a very interesting relationship with Jack, you know, and all the things that Jack got that she didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then as far as writing timelines, started writing the actual book in February 2017, uh, finished in like May or June of 2018, and then did like three rewrites over the next uh, year or so. Um, did the last read I actually like trimmed like 20,000 words from the manuscripts like just in like February and March um, of this year like pretty major rewrite um, but I think it that was after we'd hired an editor and uh, got a lot of good feedback and finally got the manuscript to a place where it, it felt felt like it moved enough and was worthy mm-hmm. yeah uh, so Rose asks did you go into the book with the ending in mind? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Trying to ask about spoilers. Was D there throughout the whole book? Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Danger is, well, mostly. She she makes her first appearance in uh, chapter five, although there are some oblique references to Jenny texting someone uh, or getting off the phone with someone previously, and that's danger. She's first what referenced in chapter three? Danger has no danger. Uh, is that chapter, chapter three? three? That's chapter four. But chapter I mean, I, I guess you could call that a reference. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sorry guys, that line is is it's from the pilot. <laughs> yeah. It's been chapter one. It's been chapter there. Two. It's been chapter three. <laughs> yeah, it's been around for a long time. Um, but like for for example, when uh, Jenny gets out of the town car in chapter one to go to the mansion, I think it's mentioned that she taps out a message on her wristwatch. Uh, yeah. That's the danger. Yeah. Yeah, I I I think that's that's the one thing too that'd be really interesting to, to share with the world when we get chances. I, I can say if uh, if you've read it, hopefully you have if you're listening this far, uh and you're a little curious, if you go back and take a look, if you have the uh the printed copy, uh if you look at the little footprint dividers between sections and chapters, uh there's a difference. I'll, I'll put it that way when it's a danger POV instead of Jenny. So she is there quite a lot. Um, not a ton, but more frequently as the story goes along, she pops up. Yeah. yeah. And also if there's ever a Harry Potter reference, that's from usually, I, I want to say it's a hundred percent. If there's a Harry Potter reference is because it's a danger POV because danger did not grow up being trouble. Uh, Harry Potter is her favorite book series and she's obsessed with Harry Potter. <laughs> Uh, and Rose asks, are you working on the next one? Sort of. And then in a couple weeks, yes. I mean, I've been doing a lot of going to coffee shops and sitting there listening to music and writing down ideas. So I mean, which is to say, like, it's not like we don't know the overarching thing of, uh, our, our arc that we have planned. You know, it's not like we have no idea what comes next, but more like for this particular book, like what are the actual beats, you know, like chapter yeah. to chapter that kind of thing 
so like someone had asked us uh, two weekends ago or whatever, like how much of this book is that thing from, you know, season one of your, of your, of your show version. And it's like, it's complicated. It's like a third of this and, you know, something of that. And so, yeah. Um, theoretically be more or less a season one. Our original plan was to reveal danger at the end of season one. So it's like, yeah, it's like, it's a bunch of the stuff from, um, and one, and one hand it's like, it's like the first like four or five episodes of some new stuff from that. And then like the ending brought forward because we had, we had planned out like roughly, well, we went into like some pretty good detail of season one and then we planned out, you know, the emotional arcs and the beginning and the ending of like seasons two and three. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. I mean, uh, put it this way. We, we know who done it. It's not yeah, like we, we know haven't done it. decided that yet. Um, I can even tell you the moment we figured it out. <laughs> it was in a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and then I that's think- your inside detail. We uh, came up with the killer. Yeah. Well, peeing in different stalls. <laughs> uh, Nicole off one twenty one says, "For my name is Trouble. Are there any key chapters we should go back and read? I found a few, but I'm not sure. I'm sure I missed some of the hints in the beginning. Um, I don't want to spoil it for others, but if y'all can discreetly give hints, I would love it. Well, if you're hearing this, you're somewhat spoiled. Um, she talks about being the Hannah Meredith detective books. She usually reads the last few chapters, but she didn't this time. That's nice." Um, so chapter five and chapter 11 are two of the main early appearances of danger. Um, chapter 16, oh wait, no, chapter 15, sorry, 5, 11, 15, and I think she's a little more in 16 too. And then, um, the bad egg or chapter 28, right after the bad egg, um, that's all danger there. So I would say for general hints of all things, you want to read chapters one through 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just yeah if, there's, there's lots of little stuff sprinkled here and there. Let's put it that way. But uh, for actual POV shifts, I think five, 11, 15, 16 and 27 are some of the big ones. Yeah. And 19, That's I think for, she's 19 a lot too. And that's for danger. There's yeah. other things that you should uh, be keeping an eye out for. It was I put a just a lot of work into little details here and there. Um, you know, both making sure that the right track is laid, and also hopefully obscuring it so it doesn't become obvious the track is being laid. You know, um, mm. yeah, really, really worked hard and put a lot of thought, and hopefully that's evident from you know reading it and kind of seeing how the story goes and whatnot. Um, you know, cause I, I, we watch tons of PLL. We like reading mystery books. I think we both would want to read something where it feels like you could go back and, and have those aha moments, but maybe you wouldn't, unless you're particularly, you know, on your ball, you might not catch them the first time. Yeah. Yeah. That's like I said, like little things to, the in-between details like it's not just how jenny interacts with it like this has to be a secret that's out in the world that exists even if you don't know about it you know what i mean that's why like gone girl is very interesting in the sense that like you're getting a lot of nick's perspective in the beginning of that book 
And even though he doesn't know about Amy's plan, like Amy's plan is a thing that has to exist, you know, mm-hmm. regardless of how stupid he is about things. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm definitely looking forward to writing book two because now that secrets out of the bag, like some of the working it in with some of the POV shifts and whatnot had to be very tricky, you know, without cheating, without getting it away. So getting to actually play with that dynamic out in the open is going to be a lot of fun. I think. Yeah, there's a big mysteries and there's a little mysteries, but um, danger actually being a person, it's real. It's going to be very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, well, I think that answers all our spoilery questions. Um, yeah, hope everyone liked the book. If they've listened this far, presumably they've either read it or don't plan to read it, but you should go read it if that's the case because it's lots of fun. Yeah, <laughs> we think so. We think so, yeah. Um, we try not to sell you a bunch of bullshit. Um, and for some reason, you were never going to read the book and don't give a shit about spoilers and to listen to this part. In general, again, this doesn't have that same grandeur of the ending of our previous PLL podcast, this podcast. It's, but thanks for you know taking a chance on us, not just with trouble, but with just the fucking perfectionists and downloading these fucking episodes every week and listening to them because they're like seven hours long each right something like that yeah yeah so i mean the fact that people give a shit about anything that we say or do it's it's i don't know i don't know i still don't know it's it's so awe-inspiring i still don't know how to interact with it (laughs) all right well i think that wraps it up um if you didn't send us your question yet apologies it's not going to get answered but i think we got them all in there so and it's not like we're inaccessible yeah yeah we're, we're there on twitter um it may be possible at some point to do some sort of reading or future meetup for trouble or something like that we'll, we'll see how that goes yeah um yeah well we'll we'll have to see about perfectionists and what happens with uh the show whether or not it's going to continue to exist or not I will legitimately say my fingers are actually crossed. I, I really do. I don't know. I don't know what I would have said at different points, but like right now, I, I, I really do hope it gets renewed. Um, I like the people who make the show. I like that there's the bones, something interesting there. I, I want it to be good. I'm never like rooted against it. And there's been shows where, you know, I gave them a chance and then I hated them and then I hated them and then I fucking hated them and then I just wanted them to be ruined. And I, you know, I'm not there with this show. I love it or I want to love it. <laughs> I desperately want to love it. But Headcanon will return around July 4th. So, yeah. Final thoughts? Last thoughts? Um, just just waiting for news, I guess, you know? Yeah. We'll yeah. see. So we'll see you then. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye.